Wednesday, August the 18th, 2021. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of That's What G Said Podcast. Hope everyone has had a nice start to their week. We will bounce around here, talk a little baseball, uh, a couple of quick hits in, in the world of sports. We will get into Wednesday, Saratoga, Thursday, Saratoga, Thursday, Del Mar. What if episode one, Tim Kelly joins me by the time a lot of you hear this, you know, Probably you may, you may have even watched episode two of What If, so we'll uh, we'll keep those recaps uh, rolling. We'll have uh, every episode recapped of What If for you, and then the old wrestling rewatch heads to SummerSlam 2016 with Andrew Champagne. So little wrestling, a uh, little Marvel What If recap. We got some Wednesday Thursday racing, some baseball, some basketball news, a little bit of everything on this episode of That's What She Said. That is presented by BetterThan.Vegas. BetterThan.Vegas is the website to help you every single day with your gambling content. Free videos from a bunch of different gamblers, handicappers all around the world, uh, sharing their wagers each day, their angles, their analysis, some of the reasoning as to why they're playing certain games, players, props, totals. BetterThan.Vegas. Give them a follow on Twitter at BTV Bets. Every day they give away money to one of their followers. Well, they try to give away money to one of their followers. They'll give away a wager to one of their followers. And if that wager hits, you get to keep all of the money. So follow along. If you want some free action, help share some of the uh, the polls and vote in some of the polls. And just follow the simple instructions at BTV Bets. So a couple things I want to do a uh, Discuss in the world of sports College football rankings are Out and uh, Would you guess who's up top Alabama in the AP Preseason top 25 Alabama's one Oklahoma Is two Clemson Three Ohio State four Georgia five Texas A&M Iowa State Cincinnati Notre Dame North Carolina your top 10 Oregon's 11 uh, Pac-12 teams USC Is 15 uh, Washington is 20. You've also got uh, Utah and Arizona State rounding out the top 25 there. So this is the what, the fourth time in the past six years that Alabama is the number one AP overall. I mean, they're always up at the top one or two. The conference breakdown looks something like this. The SEC has numbers 1, 5, 6, 13, and 16. So five of the top 16 Big 10 with numbers 4, 12, 17, 18, and 19. Pac-12 with numbers 11, 15, 20, 24, and 25. ACC with a couple, 3, 10, and 14. Big 12 has the numbers 2, 7, and 21. Sunbelt with a couple, American, and then the Independent all have uh, one team from their conference ranked in the top 25 of the early AP poll. A couple things to talk about in the NBA. So the Clippers traded... Patrick Beverly and Rondo and Daniel Aturo for Eric Bledsoe. And then following that, the Grizzlies trade Patrick Beverly for Jarrett Culver and Wancho uh, Hernan Gomez. So Beverly ends up going to the Timberwolves now. So it, this was kind of interesting. Um, the Grizzlies just got Beverly from the Clippers in that trade that sent Eric Bledsoe to the Clippers on Sunday. 
Beverly average 8.8, 8, uh, nine season for the Rockets and Clippers, 8.8 .8 points, 4.3 rounds, 3.4 assists. But he's not a scoring type guy, and he's the type of player who you like him when he's on your team and you, you don't like him when he's playing against you. I, I, I like his type of players. I just specifically, there's very few players that I don't personally like, and I just, he's he's tried to take so many cheap shots at so many different players through the years but he's he gives you something he brings you something he definitely changed the complexion of the games um in, uh, in the playoffs last year when he was guarding Booker or uh when he would you know uh, take on a role and really try to be that um you know annoying nuisance defender and he can do that sometimes I just that's why I don't like when he goes a little too far and he pushes someone in the back and you can be tough without being Bush League. So, uh, Pat Bev moving around a couple times in just a few days. The NBA opening week schedule and Christmas Day schedule is out. In fact, I think a lot of the TV, the national TV schedule is out. So, the Bucks will host Boston and the Lakers Nets. You'll see those on Christmas Day. Um, we will also get, uh, let's see, uh, yeah, Bucks Celtics. You get, uh, Phoenix, Golden State, there, and uh, Brooklyn's going to be in the mix against the Lakers, and then the Mavericks, and uh, Utah, so a Christmas Day slate with a lot of the stars out, NBA season kicks off October the 19th, that is just two months away, October 19th in Milwaukee, Bucks will get their rings before hosting the Nets, a rematch of the Eastern Conference semifinals, and then later that night it'll be the Lakers hosting the Warriors. Westbrook with his first game in uh, in L.A. as a member of the Lakers. So the full opening slate for the NBA is on Wednesday, October the 20th. As Can you believe we're just two months away from the, uh, the start of the NBA? Now baseball, we are... <laughs> we're really getting there now. We're midway through August. We got a, six weeks left in the baseball season, so things are starting to get tight. And today was a crazy day in the American League East because the Yankees sweep a doubleheader against the Red Sox, and now the Yankees have jumped the Red Sox. They are actually slightly ahead of them. They are sixty-eight and fifty-two. Boston is sixty-nine and fifty-three. So the Yankees have a 567 winning percentage. They are percentage points above a Boston Red Sox team. That was so much better than this Yankees team throughout the year. But a huge day today for the Yankees has put them right in a tie for the American League wild card with Boston and with Oakland. There's a three-way tie with the three of them. The Rays are uh, um, leading the East with a five-game advantage right now in the AL East. They've won seven of their last ten. They're playing some great ball. And the Yankees have put themselves right back in the mix now. Boston slightly behind the Yankees with Toronto um, four games back of Boston now. So Toronto had a, a nice little spurt, a uh, nice little spurt, but the last week or so they've they needed to continue to play well like the Yankees. They were right there with the Yankees, and the, and the Yankees now are all of a sudden four games ahead of them in the American League Central. The White Sox. It's been a pretty boring division all year long, to be honest. And you're not boring if you're a White Sox fan, and it's nice to be 20 games over 500 and have an 11 game lead in the division. But there just hasn't been much of a chase or much of a. It never looked like anyone was going to threaten the White Sox. The Astros two and a half games up on the 
A's. The A's, who had an opportunity recently to make up a little ground, the Astros have lost three in a row, but the A's also lost three in a row. So uh, Houston with 70 wins, one of three teams in the American League with 70 wins. Uh, Oakland 68 and 52, two and a half behind them. But Oakland is deadlocked in that uh, tie right now with the Yankees for the American League wild card. They're both 68 and 52. Boston at 69 and 53 is you know right there with them, but just percentage points behind. And then uh, Toronto and Seattle are four and a half games back in the uh, the wild card chase. So you'd have to think that it's probably down to those five teams with Toronto and Seattle, you know, an outside chance at, at four games back. Still not insurmountable, but uh, you can't imagine a team like the Angels who are a game under 500 and eight and a half out of the wild card would have any uh, opportunity there. So that's in the American League. Over in the National League, you know, the Dodgers are playing just some Great baseball right now. Really good ball. They continue to win. They're eight and two in their last ten, but the Giants just keep winning. It's it's crazy. The Dodgers are still four games behind the Giants. The Dodgers are seventy three and forty six with the second best record in baseball. But the only team that's got a better record than them is the Giants, and that's the team in their division that they're chasing. That they're four games behind. The Giants won again tonight. They have seventy eight wins right now. They're 78 and 42. But you, you look at all a lot of the metrics. You know, the Dodgers have a almost 50 plus more run uh, run differential than the Giants, yet it they just find ways to win. They squeak another one out. And so the Dodgers, while, you know, they look around and they're eight games up in the wild card, actually, they're really like 10 games up in the wild card because they're eight games up on the. Uh, you know, eight games up on the second spot, really. So it is, yeah, it's it's looking more and more like uh, the Dodgers are going to really need to get lucky. They're going to really need the, the Giants to hit a, a rough patch, which they just have not done. And so the wild card now, with the Padres continuing to lose, there are two teams that, you know, have kind of been, been breathed the new life. The Reds and the Cardinals. The Reds are only a game and a half behind the Padres right now. They're 65 and 56. And the Cardinals are four behind the Padres. So I would say either of those teams has a small shot. You got the Phillies at four and a half games behind the uh, the Padres for that final spot. And they're, uh, they're currently a couple behind the Braves who have been playing some really good baseball themselves. And now all of a sudden the Braves, you look up, and a team that was under 500 just a few weeks ago, now they're two and a half games up in the division. They made a couple trades, and they're playing some really good baseball, really steady baseball. Phillies, Mets chasing the the Braves. Their Phillies are two and a half behind, and the Mets are four and a half behind the Braves. In the NL Central, you got the Brewers who just continue to sustain a nice, comfortable lead in the Central over the Reds. They're eight and a half games over the Reds with the Cardinals 11 back in the division. And then out West, the Giants, Dodgers, and Padres are all three teams that would be in the playoffs right now, but the Padres are reeling. They're 12 behind the Giants as the uh, Dodgers try one more last real you know, uh, attempt at uh, to usurping the Giants for the division. We'll see if they can make up some ground in the next uh, week or so. Um, as a big baseball card fan, I wanted to mention that the T206 Honus Wagner baseball card sold for 
$12.6 million, which uh, was a 20% buyer's premium. That was Monday morning. It was shattering. It shattered the record for the highest selling sports card of all time. Previous record was a 1952 Topps Mickey Mantle card sold for $5.2 million. Um, there was also a LeBron autographed rookie jersey card from 2003-2004 Upper Deck Exquisite Collection. And I always love seeing stuff like this. $6.6 million for uh, the Honus Wagner card. Which I'm sure many of you have seen before. It's It's one that has always been very highly regarded as a you know a uh, life-changing kind of card for collectors and yeah this is I always love reading stories like this and looking like this so the Honus Wagner card that I'm sure many of you have seen before goes for 6.6 million dollars that's your uh Quick hits in news and in baseball. We're going to get into horse racing next. And before we do, we want to let you know about the past performances we use. What's the best tool, the best way to research and get all the information before you make your horse racing wagers? DRF. Horse racing fans, many of us have been using the DRF, the daily racing form, for years. Studying the races, keeping up to date on news with all the articles. I remember looking for a copy at the local liquor store or picking one up at the local racetrack, wherever I was going. Now it's even easier and cheaper than ever to use DRF with DRF.com and the newly optimized DRF mobile. You can get all the tracks that you want to bet and handicap. Past performances that are mobile optimized for on-the-go handicapping on your phone. So you go to drf.com from your mobile device, no additional cost. Tap the calendar icon on the top left. It opens all of the options for past performances and for the tools that are available. One click to bet now and DRF bets. Get real-time odds and scratches on race day. You can tap on any horse and you get those same DRF past performances that you're familiar with with a larger font for your mobile display. One click to formulator for charts, for replays if you get the formulator version. And even on the classic past performances, you get the home screen with horses, with odds, with buyers. You get a lifetime buyer speed figure graph. You can rotate your phone for the best view. And any horse that you click on, you'll see the running lines. You can easily move from horse to horse. The same data as those traditional classic DRF past performances. You get an interactive format, which is very similar to the DRF classic version that you're used to on the desktop. Every card includes live data updated instantly with those scratches. And so you get the accessibility from desktop to phone, cross-device functionality. You can take your notes and save them from one device to the next and then access your account on any of your devices. On-the-go handicapping and wagering, multiple formats to view. You got the overview page with recent speed figures, current day's odds, easy access to expert selections and analysis. You got the buyer speed figure graph with lifetime buyer speed figures and chart notes for every horse. And you got those traditional DRF pass performances that are just newly optimized for your mobile phones. They are constantly upgrading, improving, and making everything easier for you to get your handicapping done at DRF.com.
every day before you play the races you want to go over and check that stable duel app and see what different games and what different contests are available heck you probably want to do it uh the day before so that way you can prep you can handicap the night before you can do your lineups you can get all prepared listen to the options you have this weekend to play in the stable duel contest you actually have an opportunity on wednesday to play in a free ride so if you've heard me talk about stable duel and you've that maybe, you know, I play fantasy sports, I like horse racing, you put the two of them together, this might be pretty cool. But I don't know, I don't know sure if I want to put a whole bunch of money into it until I kind of see. Free game, costs you nothing. All you do is sign up for the app, completely free, create your entry, and you can play at Colonial for free. On Wednesday, there are four different tracks with seven contests total. Colonial, Delaware, Penn National, Assiniboia. You have a free ride at Colonial, Games ranging from a $10 entry fee all the way up to a $500 entry fee for the bigger players. On Thursday, you've got Delmar, Woodbine, Delaware, Emerald, Charlestown, Gulfstream, six tracks, nine contests from 7 bucks all the way up to 500 Then on Friday, Delmar, Gulfstream, Woodbine, Ellis, Monmouth, and Penn National, six tracks, nine contests from 10 bucks all the way up to 500 for your entry. So smaller players, you got a $10 games you can get into, and then the bigger ones, $500 entries. On Saturday, the big, big game this week, and there's actually one on Saturday, one on Sunday, but on Saturday, the Pacific Classic Challenge, $150 to enter, $20,000 in cash prizes. On Saturday, you have six tracks with 11 contests. Delamar, Gulfstream, Ellis, Monmouth, Woodbine, and Emerald. Games from 5 bucks all the way up to 1000 You've got the big $150 Pacific Classic Challenge with 20000 in prizes. And then on Sunday, you've got the Queen's Plate Jewel, $125 entry fee, $10,000 prize pool up at Woodbine, six tracks, 11 contests, from 5 bucks all the way up to 500 with that big focus at Woodbine. You've got games at Delmar, Gulfstream, Ellis, Monmouth, Woodbine, and Emerald on Sunday. Another big week at Stable Duel. Get those entries in and play, race, win. Let's get your past performances out for race uh, number two, Saratoga Wednesday. So we're looking at August the 18th for Saratoga, and we're going to flip to race number two. And I've got some thoughts on races two, three, five, and nine for Wednesday. In the second, it's $32,000 claimers. I thought the five Create Again was an interesting horse to use back. So Create Again tried 40 claimers last time out. First start off the claim for Peter Walder. And he was tracking second inside. He was just off behind the leader. He ended up moving to the two path, but he just couldn't get by in the slop. He looked as if he, he loomed up like he was going to go right by Mogacha, but Mogacha ends up going wire to wire and winning. And that, that happens in the slop sometimes. And that was the first start in a few months. You know, create again, hadn't raced from April to July. So you'll probably get a sharper effort in this one. Coming a, a few weeks back, you get a slight drop in class. You move off the rail, um, second off the short break. The number five, create again. Anything around three to one or so feels fair on this one in race number two at Saratoga on Wednesday. Let's get to the third race. We've got maiden special weights in here for two-year-old fillies who sold or RNA'd for 45000 or less. And uh, six furlongs is the distance here. I'm looking at the first-time starter for Jeremiah Engelhart, the two sea pines. The dam of this one was one for nine, but did win her debut at Belmont against Maiden Special Weights at six to one. 
four of five foals that she's produced are winners. And the barn is two for nine with first-time starters at the meet. In fact, both of their uh, wins were with first-time starters. One of them was at uh, even money, and the other one was at 12 to one. So when you just look at the conditions of this race, they actually paid forty thousand for a horse for this horse when you have to be forty five thousand or less. And this barn really good with first time starters. They are forty seven for two hundred and fifty three over the last five years, which is nineteen percent. And they've won thirty times in one hundred and eighty six starters on this circuit, on the big circuit, um, which is sixteen percent with a one ninety two ROI, which is excellent. A lot of things to like about the number two C Pines, which six to one on the morning line. I would use along with the nine, five, six, and seven. Uh, Mon Shun, Fifty Shades of Run, G Money, Live, and Call Sign Charlie. I'd use those under in some exotics or um, you know in, in different combinations. But C Pines, anything around three to one would be a fair price on that one. We move to race number five. This is a maiden special weight. They'll be going to mile in the 16th on the turf course here. I like the four-horse gunboat. Two-year-old Philly making her debut. The dam was a five-time winner on the turf, was a grade three winner who earned $300,000. This is her first full. The barn, you don't really think of this barn as, you know, a, a barn that cranks their first-time starters, but they've won with three of their last five firsters, two of them at Saratoga, one at Colonial at prices of 6-1, to 6-1, to one, and 2-1. to one. Let's go gun boat in race number five at Saratoga. Anything around uh, seven to two on the morning line. Um, you know, anything around like five to two. But I, I would probably treat this horse more like an exotic single, unless she really is in that you know like three to one ish range to to wager. I'm I'm thinking she might get a little bit of money and maybe a horse to single in some rolling exotics. We move to the ninth. Our final play for Wednesday at Saratoga. This is the Bolton Landing, five and a half furlongs on the turf course. I thought the seven uh, knees and hips, which reminds me of a uh, of uh, like one of the, the the videos that Milo watches. You know, head, shoulders, knees and hips, knees and hips, head, shoulders, knees and hips, knees and hips, and eyes and ears and mouth and nose, head, shoulders, knees and hips, knees and I've, I got those stuck in my head some days. And so, knees and hips debuted on July the fourth at Ellis Park, going five and a half on the turf course. I thought she was really impressive. She was inside. She was with like three or four lengths um, off of it early on. And then she dropped back. She, she kind of got outrun a little bit, but took back. She was sixth, maybe seven, eight lengths off, traveling well on the inside. She was loaded. And she had to hesitate. She had to wait. Then she had to move through a really tight hole on the inside. And she was able to just get up. She beats a horse who comes back to win next out. I thought it was an awesome win. First time out of the box for knees and hips. The number seven in here. I love when a first-time starter, especially a two-year-old first-time starter, shows me that they can come from off of it like that one did. And, you know, you look towards the inside, you, had to, you have to imagine Charlie O is going to be flashing some speed, Poppy Flowers is not going to be too far out of it, Stand-Up Comic is going to be right there in the mix, Fulminate going to be flashing speed, Chi-Town Lady, young horses sprinting. There are going to be a lot of horses up close early on. Could set up very nicely for knees and hips. 10 to 1 morning line. Anything around 5 to 1 feels fair there. That is Saratoga for Wednesday, August the 18th. We're now going to head over to 
talk a little Saratoga for Thursday, August the 19th. So get your past performances out for Saratoga for Thursday. So August the 19th, we're looking Saratoga. We're looking at race number one. Uh, six furlongs the distance. It's just a short field. I gotta say, I didn't love the Thursday card that much. I only could find a couple horses throughout. It just felt like it was probably gonna be pretty chalky. And short field, but the one is it's like a presser, but she gets the rail draw. And th- that usually forces a horse like that. It ends up making them go a little bit faster or putting them in, in a bad spot. Anna's fast is fast. She's gonna go. Sweet Mia wants to be forwardly placed. She's going to go. And Violent Point wants to be forwardly placed. She's going to go, and she's got the blinkers on from the outside. I think she's a black belt who comes out of a, you know some pretty tough races. Was in a 45 claimer last time out, was behind Anna's Fast, and was behind uh, True Castle. That race doesn't shape up all that well for her, and those last two races were on an off-race track. She's a black belt, has the opportunity to sit just off if need be She ran into a horse named Ant Cat a couple starts back Who won three starts in a row And ended up finishing second in a stakes race If they go quick She's a black belt Will benefit most The number four in race number one at Saratoga Anything around five to one Could be a nice price in a small field To kick off your early pick five Let's flip to race number seven. We've got optional 80 claimers, non twos, traveling a mile and three eighths distance on the turf. You're going to have a very heavy favorite in here of uh, Sham Rocket. I thought Opry had an opportunity to uh, to maybe upset Sham Rocket in here. Opry, who's five to one on the morning line, you use Rock Emperor. It's kind of a measuring stick between the two. Uh, they were both about similar distances behind that one. Um, I, I just like some of the races that Opry are, is coming out of. Shamrocket's graded stakes race is kind of similar company. So you, you can get a lot better price on Opry. Opry, from just a pure numbers and figures standpoint, stacks up really well with Shamrocket and the rest of this group. And Opry has a, a lot more tactical speed than a horse like Shamrocket. So should get a, a, the jump. A couple lengths on that one in here. You know, I don't know... Exactly where the, the the speed is going to come from, and it, it it might end up just being Opry on the front end because Olympico isn't a speed demon. Pretty good year isn't going to go that quick. Sham Rocket's not going to be going that fast. Uh, Dynadrive's not going to be going that fast. Fortuity maybe stretching out. They just you know want to see if this one. Can show a little bit more coming out of a, a sprint race But they've been long and, and he's not exactly one that's fast Opry with the just like a, some aggressive handling Could end up putting himself in a great spot here early The number 4 Opry in race number 7 Anything around 7-2 to two feels fair Let's flip to the we got a stakes race where you're going to have a very heavy favorite in the ninth race. Sadie Lady, I think it's two to five on the morning line. And it's just so hard to, you know, build a case against her in this field where she just seems to tower over this group. But in the 10th race, the one Akushla, I like a little bit. She had a slow start in her last and she ran into some traffic she wanted to go. She was about 10 lengths off. I mean, three wide, three from the back. Um, she makes a big four wide move She moved up to second early stretch before tiring Now adds the blinks The you know, the, That should really help this Philly focus a little bit She seemed a little green And maybe like a horse who could use some blinkers With focus wandering 
Now, the horse I actually like a little bit better and will probably play to win is the 12, Vivizano. I mean, she's got to be the one that gets the lead in here, right? Stretching out from six to the route on the turf. Look at the one time she went long on the grass back in August of 2020. She finished a good third in a field of 12. And in here from the outside draw, it, it the outside doesn't bother me as much when it's a situation like this. She's got to go. She's drawn outside. There's not a lot of other speed. She's stretching out from a sprint to a route. She's going to go second start off the short little break. Vivizano is a horse who I'd absolutely need in all exotics closing. Don't leave this one out. I have Vivizano stacked more like a 6-1 to one shot. This was 15-1 to one on the morning line. I'd also use with Akushla in exotics there. So that is Thursday over at Saratoga. We're going to get you to Del Mar for Thursday, but before we do, we want to remind you about our friends over at OldSmokeClothing.com and that high-quality clothing and merchandise rooted in the iconic symbols of horse racing. Promo code GINO will get you free shipping on your order. Hats, t-shirts, hoodies, zip-ups, long sleeves, anything horse racing related with uh, names of Horses, famous horses, catchphrases, slogans, racetracks, you name it, they've got it there, oldsmokeclothing.com. It is a mecca for horse racing swag. Check it out, promo code G-I-N-O. We'll get you free shipping on your order. Delmar, Thursday, get the past performances out for August the 19th. So we will kick off the... Thursday Delmar card in race number one in the opener with the four Rev Rita, who's going to be dropping in class from Maiden Specials to Maiden 62-5 Claimers. She had a fine start in her debut. She was sitting third, maybe two, three lengths off chasing. She ends up finishing fifth in a race that has now produced three next out winners, all of them Maiden Special Weight winners. Sea Dreamer came back to win a Maiden Special Weight next out with a 90 buyer speed figure. Zydeco Mama who was third, came back to win a maiden special weight next out at 17 to 1. And Lisette, who was also in that race, came back to win a maiden special weight next out by three. That was a loaded race that Rev Rita was in. She just was behind three horses that all came back, three horses out of four that came back to win maiden special weight races next out. Now she drops in class. She's got experience. If she just sits the same kind of trip, she's going to be a lot fitter and a lot more competitive in a group like this, the number four, Rev Rita, who's three to one on the morning line. Anything around that, we would play to win. Anything over five to two, but I'm going to treat her like an early exotic single in the pick five. Let's flash to race number four. So we got maiden 50 claimers here. They're going to go a mile on the main. I'm going to throw the one Arib into a lot of my exotics here. This is a filly who's trying the boys, but she's. Gotta go from the rail. I mean, there's no other plan that wouldn't make sense. She's run at five and a half furlongs, and at five, there's really nobody that's shown as much speed sprinting as she has. She gets the inside draw, and she has a stable mate in this race who has not shown as much speed. And so, by her going, it would give the Hanson Barn a really nice sort of compliment of. Uh, you know, a, a horse up front, a Reeb, and then a horse probably coming from off the pace with uh, Moshlid Flats. And that's what they do best. There is a little win early pedigree in here. There's some speed on the dam side for a Reeb, and then some stamina on top. She doesn't hook any monsters. She's going to send hard. 
from the inside, Areeb, who is 20-1 to 1 on the morning line. If she's anything around 10, I think that's fair. We know what we're going to get from her. A good start. Let's try to get a couple lengths on the field. Play catch me if you can. Number one, Areeb in race four. The fifth race, $32,000 claimers, non-two, traveling a mile in the 16th on the turf course. I thought the four, Brittle and you, was a horse to use under. I thought the 10 uh, was also one that's going to be pretty tough. Basilia, and I will be using in some rolling exotics. But the six was most intriguing to me, a golden voice. Um, you can look at her last two starts and, and make an excuse for them. On November the 1st, it was a start against Stakes Company. It was a pretty decent group. And then she was sent to the bench. It was a softer, of course, also. And she was sent to the bench from November till July. She comes back in July. She had a good start. She was forwardly placed. She got off the rail. She pressed the leader in the two-path. She was right up to challenge, and then she backed up. She was all in early. She was chasing lone speed, pressing, which is not an easy trip. And that was her first start since November. So she needed that last race. Now she drops in class. And... Her numbers and figures, just speed figures alone, might be a little low in comparison with some of the others, but this is going to be her second start at three, so I feel like there's some room for improvement and some upside there for her. The number six, Golden Voice. Tossed the last two, second off, second start at three, improvement likely. July 6th was right up in striking range, but faded, sort of ran her race, but but was in a, a spot where she was just chasing, and it wasn't the easiest of uh, of opportunities to do so. Golden Voice, the number six in race number five. Anything around four to one feels fair. We would use along with the four and the ten. In race number six, and you know, nothing creative here. It just feels like a great spot for Eddie's new dream. I'm not even going to talk much more about this, but this is probably a horse who I would single in a late exotic. The number four, Eddie's new dream, dropping out of the stakes. Just had a bad beginning last time out. He's got a lot, she, I keep saying he, she's got a lot more tactical speed and positional speed than she was able to show in that last. So she should be pretty close today going the mile, and she feels like she's the best horse in here. Eddie's new dream, who is likely to get bet down. And then we close out our uh, Delmar plays for Thursday in the seventh race with the number seven, Rajika. I did think the six was super logical too. If you want to use KP All Systems Go, who needed her, uh, who needed his last start, he made a big move. It wasn't the best trip for him, but Rajika, look at who he has been facing as of late. You see Rock Emperor last time out, who was second in the Bowling Green. You see Moon over Miami, who's been running against Graded Stakes Company. So Rajika coming over to Southern California, coming into the D'Amato Barn. This is a really good spot for Rajika, who feels like he's just had, you know, had to deal with a lot tougher foes than, than most of these have had to. So that is Thursday for Del Mar. Del Mar, Thursday, August the 19th. Best of luck on Wednesday at Saratoga and on Thursday over at Del Mar and Saratoga. We want to uh, remind you about our good friend Cindy Carava, full-service realtor. Cindy Carava loves hanging out down in Del Mar. Many summers down there, and she can help you with uh, housing in Southern California. Buying, selling, leasing. But as a full-service realtor, she can help you out in a bunch of different ways. Free market analysis if you want to find out how much your home is worth. She can connect you with the right type of people for home improvement. With uh, with vendors, gardeners, landscapers, painters that she's used in her own homes. She can help put you in touch with the right kind of lenders. If you need help getting pre-approved for a home loan, cindycarava.com is the website. Full service realtor, Cindy Carava. 
Now we're going to head into, talk a little Marvel, a little MCU with Tim Kelly. It is What If, as uh, we take a look at the new Disney Plus MCU show. It is an animated series, but it will be very important in setting up future storylines for Marvel TV shows, Marvel movies. If this was uh, something that you weren't quite thinking about watching, I'd recommend to give it a look. Give it our uh, pod a listen. Maybe we can uh, convince you. It's not perfect, but there are some things that we critique. But I think it's still uh, enjoyable, and I'm very much looking forward to the, the coming episodes of What If Tim Kelly joins me for a full deep dive recap of the new Marvel animated series. It says uh, 24 days since the last conversation that I've had with Tim Kelly, but it feels like a lifetime as there was a little break in between some of the new Marvel MCU content out there. So uh, we didn't have much to talk about, but now we do. Uh, What if the new animated Marvel series debuted on Disney Plus just a few days back? So if you were missing MCU after Loki, don't worry about it, folks. Yeah, now things are going to be rolling quite along. We'll have, uh, I believe, nine weeks of uh, of what if to talk about. We're going to lead into uh, Shang Chi and uh, and other movies and releases throughout the, uh, the the second half of the year now. So lots of stuff to come. And like always, anytime there's any new Marvel content out there, uh, our good friend Tim Kelly, our Marvel consultant and expert here on that's what G said <laughs> podcast, joins us again. TK, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing well, thank you. Uh, great to be back, man. Oh yeah, excited so, to talk about this thing. Yeah, this one was is, is interesting because it's kind of a polarizing um, yeah uh, response so far. I don't think I've seen anybody say that they thought it was bad or they mm-hmm. just like oh completely hated it. But I did see some people think or maybe kind of expect or want a little bit more from uh, a show that just the title of it, "What If," really can mm-hmm. make your head spin. Thinking about all the possibilities and all the amalgamations, and now with the doors that were opened up in Loki, uh, we really can travel through multiverses, dimensions, time travel all over the place. Um, unlike ever before, really, in 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 a lot of the MCU movies and then and, and projects that we had seen previously. So, yeah. um, there's a lot going on in in uh, even just to start here, but I will say that. They picked a very safe story to tell for this first episode, and I think that'll. There's goods and there's bads. They didn't want to introduce a whole bunch of real crazy ideas right off the bat, um, but I think at the same time, some a lot of people kind of wanted that. Th- this was a very safe story when you just think about it from a over like a a big picture topic, like S- Steve Rogers and and yeah. you know Peggy Carter. They're not that much different in who they are as a person, their morals, their beliefs, what they right. stand for. So just switching them isn't really going to change a story all that much. That's really true. It's not that uh, huge of a, a contrast there mm-hmm. uh, for them to change. And I did feel like you know, on some level, uh, it was almost like, what's the point of watching this? I kind of feel like yes. we're just re- retracing right. our steps we're, we're getting the same beats that we got before. And there's something kind of novel about that. There's a novelty to it. 
Um, it kind of reminded me of like I just recently watched the the new Space Jam movie, mm-hmm. and one of the things that was like most entertaining to me about it was just like, oh, there's King Kong, and oh, there's yes. um, there's all the, the clown from It people, and just looking at all that, playing like Where's Waldo with that, yes. and it, it was like that novelty aspect of it, and I kind of feel like this had a you know a different but similar kind of novelty aspect where we're just going, oh yeah, I recognize that. Mm-hmm. Um, Lots of nods on second. Yeah, hundred percent. On second view, I I did enjoy it and was able to just like take in the story a lot more. I Completely felt like agree. I got I got into the the format a little bit more, the yep. the look and feel and tones of the of the characters. It can be, I think, a little bit jarring going from the live action to this style, uh, which is pretty beautiful. I gotta say, on on mm-hmm. one hand, it, I I really do enjoy the cel shaded. Uh, animation, but I also felt like it was a little bit lacking in the motion detail. Um, it just felt a little bit like um, I don't know, cheap on some on some. I level. know what you're saying, Even, and, and that, those yeah. were like cheap or lazy. Those words sound really negative, and I don't mean it in that like. But I, I know what you mean. Like it just there were there were spots where I think we we all wanted just a little bit more. Um, mm-hmm. But I I. And I have I don't know um, what's coming in in episodes two and three, but I have read from people in a totally non spoiler way, just saying that it did feel pretty purposeful that this was the first story they tell told to kind of like remind everybody what's happened, where we mm-hmm. were, go back a little bit, sort of before we move forward, and that the next stories that a lot of uh, I think most of the, like the writers and and. Reporters or people that do shows that there have seen the first Three um, so they've said that mm-hmm. the next Couple they introduce ideas that Are a little more like we wanted like Real characters fish Out of water situations you know Like yeah. out of their world and Completely changing so I, I Think I agree with you after the first Time I kind of had a little bit Of a I, I didn't dislike it At all but I just kind of had mm-hmm. a little bit of a Oh that's it when it was done yeah. um, Feeling like Same. I, I started to really get into it and I wanted to kind of see more and then it was over, you know, so that was was a little frustrating, too, because these are short little, uh, th- you know, 30 minutes um, and, and really only about 25 minutes or so. Um, but I, I think when I watched it again, like you and I wasn't I was being less critical because it already kind of got at that out of my way. I got that out of the way naturally. Yeah. Um, I did enjoy it. I did pick up a lot of things. And one thing I actually thought that that this um, because what's difficult about this too, like they're telling mm-hmm. a 30 minute story for a, a movie that we've basically seen two hours of already, yeah. right? Like we've yeah. seen this story almost exactly told in a longer, more fleshed out format, just switching around a few of the major characters, you know, and but they're still the, the same char- people. They just have like different roles, really. Um, yeah. So and I think that's why it kind of felt a little bit weightless to me, at least I, especially on first viewing. Absolutely. Just, it felt like there was no stakes almost because we'd already kind of been through this before. Mm-hmm. And then a- added on to that, I kind of touched on it before. I, I called it cheap. Maybe that's wrong, uh, but it, it's – it reminded me a little bit of a motion comic. Have you ever seen a sure. motion comic? Yep. Yeah, it, it was a little bit like a bridge between that and full-on animation. And I think with Disney, you know, at the helm, I, you, the the bar for animation is very very high. So I'm yes. expecting that. And they definitely brought that in with the, the design and a lot of the overall um, moments and, and and story beats that were, were captured. I mean that that 
sequence in the um, with the airplanes, I thought was pretty spectacular. But yes. again, a little bit weightless for me. It just felt like it was happening and I almost didn't care. Like I was like, oh, a lot of times I felt like, oh, that was really cool, but I kind of don't care. Yeah. Um, but again, like you, uh, on second viewing, it kind of clicked a little bit more for me. Because the one thing that stood out to me um, about this, and I think, I think they might have been able to do this as well and maybe even better than the two hour, the first Avenger movie did. Is I really did feel the connection between Steve and and Captain Carter and and Peggy here, right? I, yeah, I felt that connection, and really you feel it because you're you're getting this from her perspective and from her point of view. Mm-hmm. You feel it from her more, right? Because you always right. can sense it from Steve in the the first Avenger, but you never you're always kind of asking yourself the question like. When does she really fall for him, or what are her feelings yeah. for? Or did what you know? Everybody always wonders: Does she like Steve before he's Steve or after? Well, of course, we know it's before because we see the moments yeah. that they have in the first Avenger when he climbs the flag, or when he gets the flag down from the flagpole, you know, yeah. and, he, and he dives on the grenade, and you know those things that she kind of just like really likes. Um, but I felt like that was what one of the things I took most from this was getting to see. Her side of how much she really did love Steve And you know she's yeah. got the picture of him You know uh, And it's like the, the, yeah. the exact opposite of, of in the first Avenger So um, yeah when, when, you, when you watch it afterwards You pick things up And, and it, you know one of the real like, obvious things about this show is It's an animated show You know a lot of people mm-hmm. aren't are, are always going to have some reservations about animation, especially adults or people that are older or don't feel like, oh, that's a kid thing, that's cartoony. But what I think is very important to mention about this is that everyone that's a producer, writer, director, anything to do with this show and a lot of the other MCU projects, they are very adamant that this is canon. This is going to introduce new characters, ideas uh, that are going to be in future movies and TV shows and not just future seasons of what if we're talking about, you know, you know, one thing that we will discuss is there's a a monster that does not get named that gets introduced at the end of uh, this episode that many people are thinking is. Um, a monster that was likely to show up in the next Doctor Strange movie that's named uh, Shumagorath, who's a multi-dimensional mm. beast with superpowers. Um, we, you know, we could see, you know, seeing where this ends, Peggy could show up now in multiple places because yeah. she has, you know, she's basically this Steve Rogers now who's traveled through time and you wonder does she get back to Steve so they could have that dance somewhere in some other dimension now just like Steve was able to get back to her so he could have that day da- they could have that dance right. um so that that is one thing that um when I thought and I saw and was kind of doing a lot of the prep for this reading that they all are are you know and you know what it didn't feel like it's a red herring or it was something that were they're like, hey, we're just saying this to really get you to watch this. 
they right. they don't usually do that kind of a thing. I think they've learned in in both with Star Wars and with Marvel now too is like that we are all really nerdy and we're going to pay attention to their <laughs> words very very carefully. So if they say that there's like a big surprise coming or this or that, like we'll all read read into it quite a bit. I don't think they would be teasing that you know they're these are these things are going to matter moving forward. If they didn't, they'd probably just say, "Hey, this is a, a you know a, a new animated a, you know anthology series or whatever it is." But it doesn't really yeah. feel like um, we're gonna get you know even a couple of things that probably happened from this episode in uh, in maybe Doctor Strange or a, a Spider Man or who knows something something coming uh, in in the not too distant future. Well, I, I'm really excited about that aspect of it. I, I got to say, that's what's really keeping my interest here is the the prospect of seeing like a Haley Atwell n- in live action, uh, mm-hmm. making this Captain Carter character real and bringing that to the MCU. And uh, I, I'm hearing rumors too about um, Henry Cavill uh, being sought after for Captain Britain, so I could see those yeah. characters, you know, intertwining uh, with their stories there. But that's a really cool backstory to that character. He's intertwined with um the King Arthur mythos and Excalibur. So it was a cool moment in, um, in this episode of what if seeing her kind of wield the sword and the shield uh, for a minute, I had to take it back. I was like, wait, was that the Excalibur sword? But no, it was just yeah. some random sword from the look of it. Uh, but uh, very cool. How they kind of had her positioned as somewhat of like the wonder woman of, of Marvel, like mm-hmm. sword and shield. And in, in that moment, I was like, this is very wonder woman. Um, I know we'll get to that a little bit later, but uh, I, so what you said about um, the Marvel guys like Kevin Feige and uh, the executives um, tipping their hands and, and or, or, or kind of leading us on a red herring thing. I don't think they really ever do that. No, no. Um, yeah. If, it's only yeah, been like I, an I, actor or two that's maybe had some fun with it. Right. And that we right, right. was it like vision and um, and, you know, people who have said some Good things point. and then we've kind of run with it. But, you know, you're right. They don't. They don't try to like lead you astray. I don't. I don't think it's so. It's the I, opposite. I would yeah. say like they they'll keep hold stuff grounded. close to the to the vest. Yes. Yes. Exactly. They want to keep things grounded because that's always the best way to do things. You don't want to overpromise and underdeliver. Right. You know? Exactly. That's that's the worst thing you could do. So, um, yeah, it's that that is completely agree with you. Is that was what um, initially what. When I heard that right away, okay, cool. Like I'm, all, I'm definitely all in for this show. In that, knowing that these things aren't just what ifs, but they're going to be in their own little world, and they're not going to have any impact on on everything moving forward. That that could have been like fun, you know. But that's like Saturday morning cartoon kind of a thing, which is which is kind of cool because I do get that feel with this show, even just the look of it. Right, yeah. it's got the very like Batman the animated series, you know, like. Vibe yeah. to it um even some of the action scenes which are which are cool like I agree with you some of them seem there's some to be desired and some of them are just kind of like fun and nostalgic um but moving forward I like that we know this this show matters and that's a big deal to me um what is also a, a, definitely a talking point here is we get a lot of the characters the actors who played these characters in live action. Voicing the characters in in this show, one of them yeah. that's not that's obviously one that you're going to notice is there's no Chris Evans for Steve Rogers, mm-hmm. and and they do a pretty good job of doing the best that they can with him. But that's something that yeah. is obviously noticeable, you know, when you're 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 listening to you're used to listening to Captain America and all the uh, like a lot yeah. of the other voices are very similar. Um, for Flynn, 
You also get um, uh, Bradley Whitford, who's someone I love. He was he's great. great. Yeah. He's so great. And he, he just does a really good job with that character, too. So That's a reprisal, too, because um, he played that character uh, in Agent Carter, the series. Yes, good call. Good call. And yeah. that's a series that I've only watched a few of, but I'm going to go back and watch it more now, especially with with some of the relevancy and even the possibility of of her like showing up, you know, you know, in in other uh, in other movies and, yeah. and shows and live action. So she's great. To what to what you were saying about the the voice actors, though. Funny enough, Chris Evans. Uh, I thought he wasn't a part of it, so I kind of just knew already. But I thought the voice actor uh, did a very good job I, I, of of recreating the the tenor of his voice, hard. or maybe they just cast it that's very hard, well. Right, playing yeah. somebody playing someone. Like that's mm-hmm. one of the hardest things to do because then you get too mimicky, you know. Um, one of the things in in like all the acting classes that I've ever taken, a, a lot of them mm-hmm. would tell you when you're doing a scene and it's like a scene from a famous movie or a famous TV show or, or like yeah. a, a real famous something, you do, you really don't want to go back and watch it right, right before you do your stuff, you know, uh, right. because you're gonna start trying to mimic those things and you're gonna try to copycat, you know. So mm-hmm. it's it's hard to try to be the voice that sounds in in a simple way a voice that sounds like Chris Evans' voice, you know, but mm-hmm. but also adding a little like something of your own, a little heart to it also, which I thought he did a very good job of. And um, one one of the voices that I really enjoyed was uh, Sebastian Stan with Bucky. Yeah, he just seemed like he had a good time. He got to crack a lot of his Bucky jokes here, you know, like which old, was a twist, right? I, I mean. Yeah. That, Bucky is so uh, d- just down <laughs> in right. most of the uh, the Avengers films and everything, mm-hmm. you know, after he becomes the Winter Soldier. So it's interesting and kind of funny that he gets to be the complete polar opposite, kind of the wisecracking sidekick in this. Really enjoyed that. That was uh, something that stood out to me. A um, couple other big picture things that we'll talk about before we get into the, uh, the, uh, the dive through the first episode. So. We get a look at uh, quite a bit. It, it's sort of Twilight Zoney, right? The uh, the way we get the intro and the the voice of the Watcher, who is Jeffrey Wright's voice, who lets us know what's going to happen. Sort of kind of narrates uh, what's going on, and then we jump right into the the basic plot of Captain America: The First Avenger with uh, a few small tweaks. Now, the show was actually placed. Obviously in this spot because What what happens At the end of this a lot of This was set up by Loki Getting into the time travel And the multi dimensions and stuff so They like always have to And are doing a good job of Strategically placing these things because This doesn't really relate As much from like a Black Widow But this is definitely something that takes A lot from Loki because remember Black Widow oh, yeah. Was supposed to be much earlier anyways So mm-hmm. um you like you said that excites me because you get a feel of like oh yeah like Loki like little things here or there that were introduced there that are obviously going to be major um like the the new like the new biggest thing in the MCU the 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 just the multiverse in general so you know huge story there um um let's see other other big pictures uh, they've already said that they're going to be uh, Having a season two and that Captain Carter Will yeah. be back in season two Which is always nice to know that you know that they're We're gonna at least get another uh, Episode or uh, 
Who knows that half episode or maybe we get another one in the season where we get to travel along with her and kind of see where where she goes next and what she's doing next. I'm excited about that. Um, almost as much as I'm excited about seeing these characters in the, in the live action, mm-hmm. but it, it it just makes it seem that much more worthwhile to know that it's not just going to be a one off that I think that these um, these stories, these separate stories are going to have some type of a through line connecting them. And uh, that I think is going to make it more, all the more interesting. Um, Cause when you have like anthology stories, I think that those are, those can be great. I mean, black mirror is awesome. Twilight zone is awesome. There's so many examples of just uh, anthologies that are completely separate. Every story is separate, but I do like it when they can kind of connect on some level and to have them all culminate in something I think that would be really cool. So season two or um, just developing this thing where these characters that are introduced can intermingle here in this world and then also in the MCU uh, proper. I think that's really cool. So let's get into what if and it begins with the voice of the, the watcher who is our narrator. Time, space, reality. It's more than a linear path. It's a prism of it's a prism of endless possibility where a single choice can branch into infinite realities, creating alternate worlds from the ones you know. I am the watcher. I am your guide through these vast new realities. Follow me and ponder the question, what if? So as he says this, we're looking basically at like a solar system, and we're getting a little clips and glimpses of all of our favorite MCU characters, all of our, these superheroes through a prism with this, um, you know, very space background. So we're just, you know, flashing through everyone in sort of like a an animated Marvel MCU intro in its own way here. Um, what did you think about the uh, the first little uh, monologue from the Watcher before we got down to uh, to Earth? I thought it was off to a great start. Like you said, uh, it has that direct kind of connection to where we left off with Loki. You really get the sense that, oh, yeah, we're seeing this fractal universe of all these possibilities that were opened up uh, by what happened in the finale of Loki. Uh, and then you got Jeffrey Wright, who is just the perfect voice for this. Loved him on Westworld and so many other things. Uh, but he's just got this gravitas uh, to him and his voice that I think – um, it sets it off right. And it reminded me of maybe the Star Trek introduction, that space yep. the final frontier. Mm-hmm. That, mm-hmm. Uh, there was just something kind of epic uh, and grandiose about it. And uh, a lot of that had to do, with, I think, just just having a, a voice like Jeffrey Wright's to, to anchor it. So we're down on Earth now, June 1943. The Nazi army marches across Europe, leaving death and destruction. The Allied armies band together to create a new kind of soldier, a super soldier. Humanity's darkest hour, a skinny kid from Brooklyn, became Captain America. After turning the tide of World War II, he made the ultimate sacrifice, restoring peace and saving the universe. But in another universe, a single choice created a whole new hero. So we take a look at uh, Steve Rogers and Peggy Carter. And keep in mind now, because this is a cart animated cartoon, it's only thirty minutes. The pace of this thing is really quick. It moves, boom, boom, boom. Like there's not a whole lot of time in between scenes. Stuff doesn't breathe a whole lot, which is good and bad. It's it's fun, mm-hmm. like. But I think, like you said, you watch it back and you probably missed a few things because of how quickly it moves. So these are ones that you're definitely going to want to watch back uh, once or twice afterwards, and. Uh, we see 
Peggy and Steve talking and Steve says wow all this to make one super soldier Peggy says that a Paris has fallen London might be next if this works you could end the war mere, uh, mere mortals can we mere mortals can only dream of doing such things and this is the moment where the the branch is different than the first Avenger and this is why this story ends up having a different ending and will go off in a different tangent because when Agent Carter is asked if she wants to go stand in the booth, she says, no, I'd prefer to stay. So she chooses to stay in the room instead of being up top watching all this go on, which she was in the first Avenger and says uh, this is when the watcher says there. That's the moment that created a, a new universe. When asked to leave the room, Margaret Peggy Carter chose to stay. But soon it would be her venturing into the unknown and creating a new world. So as Dr. Uh, Erskine uh, sets up the uh, the procedure for Steve, he mentions the serum will cause immediate cellular change. In order to prevent growth, the subject will be saturated with vitarase. And a big difference in this one, Tim, is that in the first Avenger, the evil villain, Heinz Kruger, mm-hmm. waits until after Steve is injected with the serum until until after it works before he tries to blow up the place and kill the doctor. In this one, he does it first before they've even been able to try to inject Steve with the serum. So that's right. how things completely change. And so there are a couple small changes early, but those are the big things that branch off. Right. And I guess that's a result of Peggy's deciding to stay out here. So he had the opportunity to do it then. But I guess because Peggy was uh, waiting in the other room before, I think he was also in that other room with with the group waiting until um, they all got down. Yeah. Yeah. With yeah Tommy so I guess it Jones, just, I think. Yeah. <laughs> right. Just changed the opportunity uh, for him. So he was able to do it uh, earlier there. And I thought it was really interesting. I didn't even catch this the first time somehow, but just how important. Or maybe I just didn't register it because it was very obvious the sec- on second viewing. But um, it was a look that Steve gave uh, to Peggy and that Peggy gave back. It, she just wanted to be close to him. And it, it was very apparent how much in love that she was at that mm-hmm. point. And that's why she stayed in, in there. So I thought that was kind of uh, interesting. And it, it, it um, touches on what you spoke about before about how – it's that role reversal where in this version of the story, Peggy's just the one that's I mean, it's it's mutual, but she's almost more smitten with with Steve mm-hmm. from the beginning. Uh, and it's at least more apparent to us as, as the audience. So Peggy sees the man who is about to set fire to the room, uh, Heinz Kruger. And uh, this time yeah, he's attempting to burn down the place uh, before Steve has been transformed. So she tries to stop it, but she's a, a bit too late. Um, Steve ends up getting shot. Uh, but Peggy kills Hines um, right there in the room instead of the the run through the streets like we would get with Steve right. in uh, the first Avenger. And Steve is shot, but he's able to survive. She looks at him. Steve, focus on me. Um, th- because of the the fire, everything that's going on, they only have a few moments to try to pull this off, or they're going to have wasted all of the money and all of the. The power and all of the hours and hours of work they put into this operation. Remember, think about where we are now. We're in the 1940s. Technology 
Trying to do one thing like this At this time with as much power And as much energy as they need This isn't something they could just do next week This is like go now I think they said 60 million Something along those lines like six whatever it was Huge amount of uh, money at this point So Peggy Then runs in Um, It's funny because Flynn is yelling Rogers get in there and she says he can't and then they say, Stark, you go in. He says, what? Are you crazy? I pushed the buttons. I'm the buttons guy, which was a good running uh, joke again throughout this, that uh, yeah. that Howard Stark is not a fighter whatsoever. And he doesn't he doesn't like being in those kind of situations. Um, but Peggy, as always, brave as can be. She says, uh, hang on. I'll be right back. And Steve says, I'm not going anywhere. She tells Howard to get ready. And she jumps in the. Chamber um, to get transformed herself And they say Agent Carter what are you doing What are you doing She says this is our only chance now (laughs) Flynn tries to warn Stark once again Which is funny Stark don't do this Even though in uh, about 10 minutes He's going to be taking credit for this to the president (laughs) But um, she jumps in And we see Peggy Go through the same process that Steve went through And she comes out and she's bigger and she's stronger And she's buffed up and jacked up a little bit And she asks did it work And Howard Stark does the same look with the glasses Right that he did in a, mm. in, in the first Avenger When he kind of lifts them a little bit It's like the It's funny because I was just watching um, uh, The show on Netflix The uh, the movies that made us I don't know if you've seen that oh. or it, it goes um, It takes like a lot of movies that were in the 80s or early 90s Jurassic yeah. The other day I watched one that was on Jurassic Park And one that was on oh. Back to the Future um, And so it'll do like an hour kind of behind the scenes On the movie And it'll tell you a lot of things that you probably knew But then some other things that you you might not have known And and it was going yeah. through Jurassic Park And the uh, the glasses scene That uh, that Alan does You know when he sees the uh, When he sees the, the dinosaurs coming out And they were talking about how yeah. um, like they this is they're really directed a lot by uh Spielberg to do like big action stuff and he was laughing he said cuz think about it like who takes their glasses off to get a better look at something you know <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't make sense and he was talking about it after but it just was funny cuz it was That's very great. similar very similar to what you see here it's just like one of those things where you got to make sure that that there's there's not a spot on those glasses or something right like you did right. what you're seeing there is uh, is real so the line was funny She asks did it work and Stark says And then some You won't be needing those heels anymore <laughs> So um, You know keep in mind This is also the 1940s So what does that mean She's a woman here They're not used to There's still a lot of like sexist jokes Probably They probably toned it down a little bit more Than you know what they would have done before But that's there's still that vibe of Her the difference between her now and Steve When Steve took the serum is They wanted him to do this um, right, right now the, the the leader Flynn Didn't want her to do this And immediately He He's furious Stark I call this an absolute success And Flynn says what an absolute failure Yes 60 million dollars All the hope in the world down the drain I was promised an army I was promised peace and salvation Instead I get a girl yeah. Ooh <laughs> Ouch um, And so that is 
That's the big difference, right? I'm not going to pretend like there's no difference in this story between Steve and and Peggy. Um, so that's the major one. the The fact is just that as people, they're both just very good, genuine, honest people that you can trust to make the right decision at all times. Um, and but on the on the the big scale, he's a man, she's a woman, and at this point, he yeah. was applauded and paraded around, and she is. Kind of almost wanting to be hidden Like not it doesn't seem like Flynn is happy at all um, Doesn't want her to be out there Expects her to, to screw this up Doesn't think you can trust a woman in battle And so um, no, That's a that's a little bit of a theme f- For this episode Yeah and I guess um, similarly To you know the first Avenger At this point in you know Their respective stories they're both I guess not taken seriously as an actual soldier, as like an effective fighter. That's a good point. Um, You're right. For for Steve, it's just because it's kind of this unprecedented thing, and they're kind of wasting him on you know you know selling war bonds. And in this case, it's just the gender dynamics uh, of the era, which is a, a major major theme uh, in uh, Agent Carter the series, uh, especially with that specific character that Bradley Cooper or Bradley Whitford uh, plays uh, there. He's he's just very. Um, He's very biased and he uh, discriminates against her. And that's very much the the overall kind of outlook, except for maybe one one guy uh, character whose name I'm forgetting. It's from that show. But she basically had one guy uh, in in shield that would would uh, would back her. And everybody else kind of doubted her because she was a woman, despite her constantly doing amazing things right in front of their eyes, which is something that happens later on in this with the Nazis, uh, which I thought was uh, just a tad stupid. But we'll get to that in a little bit. So she says, I understand this is not the desired outcome. I can be more than a human pincushion. Flynn just kind of scoffs at her. The SR is under my control now. Be grateful you're here and not being brought up in charges of insubordination. She says, we were about to lose the entire project if I hadn't stepped in. And he said, well, we did. Every last drop of the doc- of Dr. Erskine's serum went into you. And if we get lucky someday, your blood might tell us how to make a real super soldier. And at this point, I think they're taking some of her blood, right, from her. Sort of like, you know, you're getting, getting an idea of like, oh, yeah, remember how uh, Isaiah Bradley or, you know, some of the – even what we heard in, uh, in Black Widow from um, the Red Guardian, you know, about how – you know, a, a lot of these super soldiers are just going to get tested on over and over oh, and yeah. over because they're trying to find out, um, you know, ways to improve this, ways to counter it, all sorts of things. So she's yeah, even the Hulk, you know, the story of the Hulk kind of branches off from the super soldier serum uh, stories and the abomination and all that. It all comes from from that. So uh, this version of reality, there could be, you know, new versions of that as well, which could be very interesting. So she uh, she tells him, you know, we have a super soldier. Women aren't super soldiers, and they sure as hell don't fight on the front lines. They might break a nail. So she's frustrated. So she, uh, like Steve in in the first Avenger, she goes to take out some of her frustration on a punching bag. She puts it through the wall, and uh, she's starting to get a feel for her new strength here. And uh Steve's in there kind of working out with her He says nice left hook says, Not according to Colonel Flynn That weapons grade moron If only allow- I was allowed to do that to Hitler's head Then Steve says it could be worse He could stick you on one of those USO tours Wear a crazy costume Be told to smile ten times a day 
which is a great nod to what Steve had to do. And Peggy, like, yeah. horrified, says, he wouldn't. He couldn't. Could he? So those are the kind of things that make you laugh about this. Yeah. You know, the, the nods like that and the things where it's like, oh, okay, yeah, that was that's funny. Like, um, so as they're they're talking now, you can see some of the uh, soldiers getting ready. Um, they're training outside. And Steve looks and he thinks he sees Bucky And he says it's a buddy of mine from Brooklyn He just deployed with the 107th Which is a shout to the actual 107th Which was uh, the same unit that they had in, in the first Avenger And says the army won't even tell me where he's going and Peggy says we all have someone fighting for us Wouldn't it be, Would it be nice if we could fight for them um, And then she kind of looks at Steve and she says I'm sorry you were meant to be the one to end the war And Steve like really quickly He doesn't care at all right He just he just wants what's best For everyone yeah. And he genuinely loves Peggy too So he's very happy for her Now And he says I, and uh, Now you will And he says don't worry about me I was never much of a dancer anyway You know yeah. another nod back to their uh, Their line in the car I believe um, when they were driving to to uh, st- for Steve to get the serum put in in the first Avenger, they're talking right. in the car about um, how you know he's no he doesn't talk. This is the longest conversation he's ever had with a girl, and <laughs> you know she says you know you never danced, and he says no I I was always too scared to ask a girl to dance, and he makes a kind of a nod to when I do finally I, I hope it's with the right person or I you know I it's like, like the same line that people always yeah. say when they're talking about waiting to have sex, you know, I was I was right. waiting for the right person. You know, he kinda <laughs> it was that it was that moment that they shared. So uh that was that was another cool little nod here. She says That's something me. that gets me from from uh from the first Avenger though. Like right. that exchange especially how it 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 ends the film. Uh, with them on on the, uh, yeah. the radio communicating with each other as his, his oh. uh, ship is going down there, like that to me, oh, I, I'll get a little teary eyed watching I that know. until this day. I know, um, and so it was nice to see that uh, kind of and, brought back. In, and in I know this. it's um, I know it's not Steve, but one thing I did realize too with a few of these is like it's been very very nice to get uh, Wanda Vision. Uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier and Loki And like a lot of these new characters and have them Focus but man I definitely miss Steve Rogers you know just like that Character of him being just so Good and so wholesome in the MCU You know it's like even though This is slightly different Steve Because that's not Chris Evans voice but it's the same Guy and like you still get a like oh Man like he he just makes you kind of Smile you know it's hard in this Day and age Um, Wrestling has a problem with this because it's hard to to beat to build a really good baby face, a good good guy, right. because like a nobody sincere baby right? face. Because everybody just yeah. rolls their eyes and they go, "Yeah, we're oh, cynical. This is corny. We're this is a, yeah. everybody wants to. They, they like the anti-authoritarian. You know, the the cool heel. That's who everybody yeah. likes, right? The the, the tweener, anti-hero. Some, yeah, someone who's not like a great a good good guy, but they're not like purely evil. But Steve is just. He is so genuine and he checks those It's Ted Lasso right. you know It's just right. like gosh how It doesn't make you groan or go Ugh. It's just you, it gives you the feels you know, even, even in animation You still get that from Steve here In his yeah. just That's genuine, tough to do That's right? tough to do it man I, I honestly think they really lucked out getting 
uh, a guy like Chris Evans to, to pull Me that either. off. He's so likable and they wrote it just right. And they just, I don't know. It was, the, it was um, lightning in a bottle. I it think is. it was, it was as good of casting as RDJ uh, for Iron Man. I think yeah. it, it made it work. Uh, and that first film, Captain America, the first Avenger, I think it holds up just as good today as it ever did. I think it's one of the best films in Great. the, uh, in the MCU. I think that, that whole, you know, the sequel, uh, trilogy i guess uh, of captain america uh, it got better and better as it went but i really do think it started very very strong um joe johnston's an amazing director guy did the rocketeer he designed a lot of our favorite things from in, uh, out of star wars and some of the most classic movies that uh you can name right now i'm blanking on a few of them but joe johnston great great um uh, storied uh an accomplished director and filmmaker uh, and that was just I think it's a classic piece of cinema that just so happens to be uh, a part of the MCU. Um, but, yeah, this uh, continuing all, all that, I think it, it it just made it that much more strong. But it also on the flip side, I was comparing it to that the whole time. Yeah, no, so you're right. You're right. That, that's at, a bummer. That, because... and, and at times, yeah, like even the, the, the dance stuff between Peggy and and uh, and Cap. Like that's just it. It didn't quite live up to it as before. I I liked it, and I it it was it was um it was special, and it it gave me that nostalgia and reminded me of that thing that I liked so much. But it didn't quite capture wanted a little it. more. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, wanted a little more. That's kind of a running theme from this first episode, at least with me, with a lot of things like so many yeah. things that I started to like, and it was like, oh, that's cool how they're doing it, and it was like boom, it was like a little tease. Right, it's like, oh no, right. no, don't Comes stop, don't stop, no, keep going. Yeah, <laughs> um, is uh, we uh, take a look to Norway, and uh, we are in Tonsberg, Norway, a real Christmas card of a town, and uh, with right. Flynn, Peggy, and Stark. So they take a look in and at, at the Nazis moving in. So we're kind of like flashing back and forth as we get a look at some of the Nazis moving into Norway. And we're, we get a look at, for the first time in a minute at the Red Skull, uh, Johan Schmidt. So Flynn, Peggy, and Stark are all discussing, kind of trying to figure out where they are, what's happening, what's going on. Nazis were in Norway. Uh, close. Hydra, Hitler's very own supernatural sciences division. Um, so they, given the Gabna signatures from the clock tower, what they were looking for could power London or blow it to kingdom come inside 60 seconds. We get the, uh, the red skull, the Tesseract was the jewel of Odin's treasure room <laughs> going through talking about the Tesseract fabled to hold the power to rewrite the very laws of physics and unlock doors across the universe. And, uh, that's when the doctor says to him, what you seek is just a legend. Then why do you try to hide it so hard? Um, so we see the back and forth there. The, and again, the only problem with all of this is that it's just, you know, we know from the movie we get to see so mm-hmm. much more, and all of these things we are saw just this. Like, yeah, this is just cliff notes. This exact scene is is a cliff note from from uh, Captain America: The First Avenger. Exactly. I don't know if there's really anything that they add or twist on this no. particular scene. No. That was one thing that I really noticed here. Um, it's almost just for like like a recap. Uh, just to, so mm-hmm. if you haven't seen the first movie, uh, you'll you'll have some context here. But yeah, that that's one kind of downside of this for me. Yep. So Peggy says it's called the Tesseract. Uh, Flynn says, yeah, that thing must be halfway to Berlin by now, more like two thirds. Um, but but we have a chance if we send a team tonight, we can get it. He tells him you're out of your mind. 
Peggy volunteers to go um, Stark says 30 men max If it reaches Hydra's high command It's game over Flynn doesn't even want to risk one man Never mind a platoon Over what he calls a glorified battery And Stark tries to tell Like tell him hey the, the greatest mind's alive And Peggy's saying you know And Stark is one of them He says no it's not your concern You're lucky to be here Peggy they're, they, they're trying to warn him The greatest minds alive can't even fathom The extent of this battery's power and He says good who knows Maybe the war will be over before Hydra figures out How to turn the damn thing on So he is just One of the One of your typical um, He's not the big bad But he's somebody who is Just standing in the way Of our, yeah. of our characters Needing to get Done with you know needing to get to their You know their ultimate uh, goal And their their ultimate destination Yeah he's a bureaucrat antagonist I mean that's mm-hmm. that's all he is I mean Perfect. he's technically exactly. on our side But yeah he's <laughs> he's in the way So We uh, we see Stark and Peggy having a drink And uh, he says You're drowning your troubles And she says um, You know I thought you Brits were resilient So she says just the men He asks can I give you a piece of advice I'd rather you didn't Flynn's a moron but lucky for you I'm a genius And he says what's She says what's this He's got a new uh, uniform A costume and a shield For her He said this was supposed to be your USO Let's go sell some war bonds Costume but I made a few upgrades Your covert skills need work (laughs) This is gonna be awkward So Quickly she goes from having a drink Remember she can't get drunk though Um, They can't get drunk as super soldiers Because their uh, metabolism is too fast So they can only uh, sort of enjoy the taste of that alcohol But we go quickly from her being shunned again by Flynn To her sitting having a drink with Stark He brings in her costume, her shield And then boom, she's in full costume, full shield Captain Carter and we see her starting to kick ass So it's just quick, quick, quick pace. Yeah, it's like a montage. Uh, there's a lot of it's. This whole thing kind of feels like a montage. You said clip notes before. That's a good one. Uh, but um, the montage is pretty slick. I gotta say, the action is is nice. I think I would have been completely blown away to see this pulled off live action. Right. But it, it's it's pretty cool um, and something that they do. They really stretch the the. The limits of what's possible because so much is possible with animation. So that, mm-hmm. that's, I guess, a, a bonus here. Um, and I, I thought this was really cool. Uh, yeah. But again, uh, especially on my first viewing, I, it felt a little bit weightless. A lot of times Just I had this thought rushed. in my head was yeah. like, oh, oh cool. that was cool. But like, but why do I care? It was yeah. like I, I didn't feel I, like I for any moment that she was going to be in any danger. I I just felt like she uh, she was just kicking ass and uh, it was almost like playing with action figures like no it was very kids comic booky right like this yeah. feels very much like a comic book when you're watching it you know um, so she takes out a Nazi jeep then another um, she's kind of marveling at her own strength that was brilliant let's give it another go yeah. you know she's like figure that I thought that was kind of funny and then she. She's just crushing people and she's laughing And she says are you seeing this And she says again I'm usually a bit more covert So um, I I did enjoy the lines I thought that was a fun part As like she's 
just figuring her what she can do out. It's just like, oh gosh, I've got this new drone. Look what I can do here, you know. And uh, that's sort yeah. of what you're getting from her. She's doing some work with the the shield. She even talks to the shield. Where have you been all my life? Which right. I, I thought I thought was another fun line. So yeah, I agree with you. Like it's just it's just like a taste that you want more of. Um, it, it was cool as the uh, the big man, the German officer, walks up. He says the allies must be desperate, sending in the fragile Fraulein to fight for them. This says, was the part that I was referring to before, where okay. I'm like, "How stupid do you have to be to see your whole squad get completely jacked up by this woman, and then still out. say something like that?" I mean, she took out, she punched a jeep and made it flip with like a flip. punch. Like or, she, she, I mean. She's clearly a formidable foe here. <laughs> you have eyes right in front of you. But I mean, it was it was fun. It was cool what she does to him. But at that moment, I I kind of groaned. I'm like, okay, I get it. They're sexist, but like, dumb how villain. stupid can you be? Like, dumb. It's a little dumb, bit unbelievable. Dumb villain here, no doubt about yeah. that. Um, the uh, he's just yeah, he's shit talking her, and she, the the thing that I loved about this is um mm-hmm. is her attack. Because yes. as as a small guy, this is the way I had to fight growing up, <laughs> you know. Like, and as someone who's not gonna just punch you in the face probably and uh, and have a good enough reach with biggers, bigger guys, this is yeah. I gotta take your legs out. And and so this was something right. that my my dad taught me very early in my life. When if you ever get into it, you gotta take take him out here. And she just punches him in the kneecap. And it just oh, yeah. cracks. It was Folds just backwards. It was yeah. great. So uh, yeah, the I, face he makes there. I gotta <laughs> say, I really did enjoy the face. There's, uh, it's right up in front of the camera, uh, the fake camera. It's like it's animated. It reminds me of Gaston. Exactly. That's what I was gonna say. It's so Disney that like the <laughs> character design in that moment, the Disney comes out big yes, time. Exactly. It was like his yeah. facial. It, he almost had the like. The rosy cheeks that like a like a Disney character would have had, you know, in some of those movies. Yeah. It was it was uh, yeah, I it was funny as he's the cussing in German as uh, Peggy finds Doctor uh, Zola and he's hiding. So she captures him and she brings him back to Flynn, and she says the war's out there, Colonel, not in here. If we're going to win, it won't be with me stuck behind a desk. So now. She's got a look at the doctor, the the he's looking at the tesseract acting asking if it's nuclear and um she's he's starting to warm up to her a little bit more because she's getting shit done. <laughs> she's she's handling business, but uh yeah. she she tell he tells her you're an agent, you're not qualified for field duty, and then you better promote me. Captain has a nice ring to it. I trust you know what to do with that. So uh, Stark has a tesseract and he goes to work. And uh, so yeah. he has she she when she hands it to him, the the line that was funny right here too is he says, "Oh, I know exactly what to do with this." And he looks over and says, "Ready to join the war effort, Steve." And Steve smiles because Steve was born ready for this. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, this is one of my favorite parts of it. I love the idea that. Steve Rogers is like an early alternate Iron Man in he this. Is. That's so yep. cool to me. And uh, I guess we've now gotten to see a few different people uh, in a suit 
similar to that. We've got Obadiah Stain in the, in the first, I think that's how you say his name, in the first Iron Man. You've got Rhodey uh, Rhodes as, as mm-hmm. War Machine. You've got, um, I guess, uh, Pepper Potts has, yeah. has done it too. And we've had also uh, Bruce Banner. And now we've got uh, 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 Captain America okay. as Iron Man. That's pretty cool. It is. <laughs> Steve Rogers. And he I, the fact that in various versions of uh, his story, he's wielded Mjolnir and the Iron Man suit is pretty damn cool. It is. He... In, in the smirk, just a little smirk that he has when when he says, "Ready to join the war effort, Steve?" It made me yeah. smile too. It's like, yes. oh, okay, he won. He just from the very beginning, and and even in the little interaction that he has with Peggy, where he and you could tell he's not like lying. He's genuinely happy for her that she gets to mm-hmm. have this moment. But he he didn't even need to be Captain America. He just he could have been the the last soldier. In the line, he just wants to have a to to feel like he's doing his part, you know. Yeah, he just wants to help. And he was willing to jump on a grenade just to do his part. Like he doesn't have to, to be the be the, the hero, the big hero the guy. guy. Yeah, he doesn't need he the, just wants the praise. to praise. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so this is the just seeing him knowing that he's going to get the chance to help. I, I thought was great. Um, as Peggy and Steve. They are looking at the map, and now they're trying to figure out um, where to go to go save Bucky. Uh, The last intel report said the 107th hit uh, enemy fire here. If your friend was taken prisoner by Hydra, um, you know, Bucky's unit is now 50 kilometers behind the front front line. I can't ask you to go. You're not asking. He's your friend. So we get the Steve Peggy back and forth here. And uh, she says, even better, um, I take down Hydra, and we all need the friends that we get. And Steve says, I owe you one. You owe me more than that, Peggy responds. You owe me a dance. So mm. uh, reference to the dance here as she gets set to go. That is one of the things that, like we said, is a little frustrating because, like, we don't see Bucky. It's, it's like, oh, Bucky's captured now? <laughs> it was like right. one of those things where it's like we don't even know a whole lot about it. They just have to give us, like, a line of exposition to let us know that, oh, yeah, Bucky's been taken now. So that's what they're looking at here. They're trying to figure out where to go get him. Um Mm-hmm. So we, more action here as uh, Peggy punches a German mo- a soldier off of his motorcycle and takes it. She says, this is nice. You mind if I have a go? And she hops the fence of a German prison. She just leaps this thing. And this is where Bucky and the 107th are being held. And as she walks in, um, one of the uh, the prisoners from the 107th said, since when do dames fight like that? And then she knocks the soldier out and he says, since today, understood. So that was kind of funny as uh, yeah. she asks, are you the 107th? I'm here for Sergeant Barnes. And uh, Bucky, what are you supposed to be? A queen of England? Right. <laughs> and uh, Steve Rogers sent me the name's Captain Carter. And she radios for air support. Send air support so they bust Out of the prison and I thought that The uh, the little interaction with the uh, The one first uh, Member of the 107th and then with Bucky And her back and forth like the It's it's cute And in, in a way that it's like yeah. Right it's corny but it's not like Just like we were saying it's not it's a, it's a fine line you have to walk It doesn't want to make you mm-hmm. like go Ugh, But it's kind of makes you smile a little Bit like it's something that an adult can watch with one of their kids and both can smile at. 
I definitely agree. Although I would say what's missing from it is taking it that extra mile where you really feel like, oh, that was really funny. Or that was like, like that when he says, who are you supposed to be the queen of England? Like that's almost to me in my head. Like if I was writing a script, that would be a placeholder line. I would want to find a funnier line than that for for something, you know, for the, yeah, for the punchline. That's the one that kind of set it up. It's like a six out of a 10. You know what I mean? Like it keeps it safe. A lie. I get the idea that it's a joke and that the character is a jokey, quippy character that comes across. And so in that sense, it's effective. And in that sense, it was kind of cool because that's not who um, that's not who uh, what's his name? Sebastian Buck. Stan Bucky's yeah. character was in the MCU. So we get that little that, that change there. But it's just on on its on, like by its own merit. It's just not that funny of a joke. And there wasn't really anything throughout the whole episode to me that stood out as being like very funny laugh out loud like that, or funny. laugh out loud or just like and when i think of the mcu and the, the marvel movies as a, as a whole i can think of a lot of moments oh, where i think about what black widow hilarious. we were just going through like 10 mm-hmm. things in the black in black widow yeah. that we were like really laughing about yeah i mean iron man is hilarious thor uh it, it, there's a, there's a lot of great comedy in these films and there's a lot of great poignant moments and action that really makes you makes you feel and that that was sort of the underlying disappointment of this whole thing to me was that there was nothing that really grabbed me there were things that yeah it it titillated a little bit it it was it was novelty it was nostalgic it was references that I, i get but nothing really hit and made me feel like i wanted to feel like even what i was saying before the the whole dance Every time it was brought up, I got that little hit of the reference and, oh, I got that reference, you know, but I didn't uh, it didn't make me feel like the original thing that it was referencing did. Um, So that's just if I could if I could summarize my kind of disappointment, that's a little bit emblematic of it right there. That that line right there, like, yes, that's the joke line. We know that's a joke, uh, but it didn't quite land for me. It was it, it didn't make me groan, but it didn't make me laugh. And that's what you really want. Yep. As uh, she sends for air support and Steve Rogers says, copy that Rogers inbound Steve. And then Bucky says, Rogers, he shows up looking like the iron giant here in the, uh, the iron man suit, this early iron man suit. And uh, he says, Hey Peggy, now you owe me one. And Somebody says, "What are the the one uh, hundred and seventh says? Hold on a second. She's friends with that Hydra Stomper." And Bucky says, "I think I'm friends with him too." As uh, it, Steve says that Stark made me some new dancing shoes. What do you think? She says, "Well, then we better start dancing." So that's a good line. Yeah, those are that, good lines. Right those there. are good. And and yeah. so for a little bit, we get to see sort of the two of them team up in this situation and then in another um, montage um, that you uh, sort of referenced um, earlier that they, yeah. they've got a couple of these montages so B- Bucky says you can't even drive a car um, to Steve and says the guy so a dame in a flying Buick okay <laughs> and uh, says, let's hear it for Captain Carter they all start to cheer but Peggy says let's save the cheers for the victory parade because we've got a war to win and uh, we we get a look now at Flynn, who's on the phone and he's talking to the president. We're all very proud, Mr. President, especially me. I've always said that that Peggy is a real knockout. Yes, Mr. President, it's called the Hydra Stomper. Yes, I told Stark to build it myself. Mm-hmm. You know, just 
total bull, total bull yeah. here from uh, from Whitford Flynn, who is uh, who who plays that role so great because I his voice yeah. in here just keeps reminding me so much of Billy Madison. Billy Madison, right? dude. Yeah, because like he's the bureaucrat kind of stuck up antagonist in that too. Business ethics, you know. So the uh, the ethics of business are, uh, 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 you know, even all, all movie, all show long. I'm thinking that as a uh, Peggy and uh, Steve, uh, they, yeah, they're together, and and it's cool, and we just see them like fighting and 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 battling as. Uh, um, that was a, a little montage of montage of the two of them. This is something that we never really got to see, and this is something that is definitely different from the first Avenger, right? Seeing these two team up. This is basically Iron Man right. and Captain America together, but it's it's Steve and Peggy together instead of mm-hmm. you know Steve and uh, and uh, and and RDJ. But um, we. Yeah, we're and just this we is moved. with the planes. This is the scene with yeah. the planes. Yeah, we move quick. I thought this was really cool. I thought, yeah, this, I mean, this is quick. A little weightless, like I said about, uh, you know, overall the episode, but this stood out to me as being one of the coolest conceived sequences ever. Like just them flying through the air mm-hmm. uh, and her soaring, you know, into the, the the cockpit, taking people out, going back out into the air, hitting another plane, being caught by by Steve. Um, very cool. It reminded me a little bit of something that w- went down in Justice League with Aquaman and Cyborg. Mm-hmm. Similar action um, uh, setup there, uh, and that actually very well executed. If you look at the uh, the Snyder cut version of that sequence, but uh, to me, th- this was the standout part of the the episode for me. I think this was the thing that was kind of most memorable about it. So the German soldiers uh, demand that Johann. Um, uh, shows up before the Fuhrer is uh, he laughs. A god does not answer to a man. They said, "You a god? You lost the tesseract, and now you play with metal trinkets." And uh, he tells them back, "I would not expect a creature of your limited capacity to understand. Soon, the true champion of Hydra shall be summoned from beyond the stars, my champion." And he kills an officer, and then. He is now reveal himself as the Red Skull As the Third Reich will fall And Hydra will rise from his ashes And uh, So we see him uh, Hail Hydra, Hail Hydra, Hail Hydra He is the Red, the red Skull Now um, And a, a, a lot of this stuff is Like you said, pretty straight from The first Avenger Yeah, uh, that's what I was just thinking I uh, I wasn't a hundred percent sure if they pl- it played out exactly the same, but I, I really felt like close ag- yeah. again. All the stuff with the Red Skull is basically just like just recapping exactly how it went down with the uh, with the first Avenger movie. Yep. So Peggy and Steve are sharing a drink, and uh, says, "Oh, I miss good whiskey, but the serum doesn't allow me to feel the effects." So Steve asks, okay, "I gotta ask, how does it feel?" She says, "Honest truth, not as different as you might think." He says, "You've always been a fighter." So in a way, the outside finally matches the inside. But she lets him know that the way people have viewed me has changed. I'm no longer screaming to be heard, to be seen, to be in the room, to be respected. And that Steve uh, says, it must be nice. I'm still that skinny kid from Brooklyn now, just in a big metal suit. Um, I did like this next line because this was a Iron Man line. You're more than the suit. The suit is nothing without the man inside. 
you're my hero, Steve. I mean, you're a hero. That was, I thought that was kind of cool too. She, she, you're my hero. Oh, and she kind of not my hero. You're a hero. But yeah. um, they, they I like that. This dialogue was good, right? There. Yes. I like that. It was genuine. That I thought if it it landed for me, and I also noted that the the design throughout I thought had some really cool uh, moments with the cell shading style and just the, the the artwork and the framing and everything. But I really enjoyed the detail of like they had this bouquet like lighting effect on the the window of this scene, and it just created this very romantic filmic kind of quality to it. Just a very simple detail that they added to it, and I I, I kind of really respected that. So we uh, we get to Steve who says he kind of laughs. He says, you're my hero, too. And as they lean in to kiss, they're about to have their moment. It's Howard Stark banging yeah. on the window. He says, hey, Barnes stole a Jeep. Come on, Steve. Let's go. <laughs> you too, Carter. And then he he like takes a moment to, to realize what he did. And he's like, hey, what's going on? Oh no no! Uh, just continue. Just pretend I'm not here. <laughs> I thought that was kind of funny. And then yeah, uh, and, and the yeah the moment where Steve is just like one of the recaps I saw somebody say the ultimate cock block Howard Stark right then banging on the window yeah. right here for Steve right. <laughs> oh man. Um, so we then get the uh, the train heist spot um, yeah. where. We see uh, that if our intel is correct and the Red Skull, the very height of Hydra, is on that train, we can end the war. <laughs> Bucky says something about this smells as fresh as three-day-old fish. <laughs> uh, maybe you're just afraid of trains. So they go on the train. She gets to the f- or well, the way that the plan works this time. Steve actually in the Iron Man suit gets to the front of the train to try to slow it down. As they try to jump on and jump in, so Peggy um, and uh, Bucky and a couple of the others make their entrance, and this commencing operation where eagles dare is uh, Bucky says thanks. You almost ripped my arm off, <laughs> which was actually one of the better little quips yeah. to uh, future Bucky. You know that was uh, that was one. Um, Rogers, what's your status? Do you see the Red Skull? I've got a visual. I'll take a closer look. Um, so as they're working on, you know, finding the red skull, the train, um, explodes and it it looks as if Steve is dead right out here on this train tracks, right by this big mountain. And it's an avalanche of snow right afterwards, Peggy and Bucky and some of the others have to immediately get out. She's kind of screaming for Steve. Can't find him anywhere. You know, this is. It, it, what's interesting about this is that uh, you know Howard Stark has referenced that the suit can't be broken, can't be destroyed. Sort of like the Titanic, you know. This, right. this God Himself cannot sink the ship, you know. And, uh, right. He's been saying that over and over, but now, now it's gone. And mm-hmm. um, so that was one of the things that is hard with a quick 30 minute like animated show like this. Like this was one of those moments that needed to breathe a little bit, you know, cause it's yeah. like, Oh, yeah. Steve's gone. They just shared these moments. They were fighting together. They've got this great connection and now he's gone and she's right back in the office, but it's just, it's so quick. We don't get to really feel her mourning mm-hmm. or really yeah. thinking that he's gone. 
yeah, you don't get to feel the consequences of it. It just kind of uh, resolves within the next sequence. We're already getting to the resolution before we really get to sit in the reality of that. We it's it's like a foregone conclusion that they're going to solve the problem. Uh, one th- cool thing, uh, well, it didn't actually come to fruition, but at this point uh, in the story, uh, I'm thinking, oh man, we're going to get a Steve Rogers Winter Soldier right here. I, I was totally primed for that. I thought like, that they're too. switching it up. I thought so too. Um, so that that to me would have been a very cool thing to to see how that would work and play out. Um, ultimately, it didn't go that route, but uh, uh, that got me excited in, in this moment. When uh, they get back to the office, it's you know Flynn and Stark talking, and Flynn yelling at Howard. You said that glowing ice cube could rewrite the laws of physics. It can. You said the Hydra stopper was indestructible. It is, was. Mm-hmm. And Peggy gets mad. <laughs> His name is Steve Rogers, not the Hydra stopper. Steve, and we've lost. Then Flynn. She should have never been in the field in the first place. And so he's back to you know disrespecting her because she's mm-hmm. a female. As uh, she wants to go check in with Dr. Zola So, oh, Fraulein Carter I was wondering when you might visit me You're wasting your time I will tell you nothing I thought this was kind of funny As she sa- He says, you're wasting your time I will tell you nothing Instant flash And you got Peggy standing before Flynn and uh, Stark He told me everything According to our German <laughs> guest, Red Skull believes he can unleash an interdimensional force that will lead Hydra to world domination. And if that fails, world annihilation. Talk about being a few sardines short of a can. So he says, uh, uh, the Red Skull has taken cover here at Castle de Crake in the Black Forest. Says, uh, no wonder Hydra targeted Rogers. You'd need the Stomper to get close. So now Peggy, she starts giving orders. She starts talking down to Flynn Colonel you're lucky to even be in the room The Red Skull wants to destroy our world In many ways he already has I say we return the favor I say we burn that castle to the ground But if we do this Know that we might not succeed in ending the war We might not sur- we might not survive But we will stop Hydra So she gets to This is a little little power speech for her where she gets to to take control This is her Steve Rogers moment Where she stands up to them and says this is what needs to be done This is what's right We're going to find Steve And uh, Bucky's in I'm in for Steve And yeah. every, you know they all agree uh, Except for Stark He says oh I'm uh, you, you know uh, And <laughs> she says come on Howard We might need someone to push some buttons So uh <laughs> They agree. Some of the 107th, Peggy, Bucky, Howard, they're gonna go try to uh, to find Steve and to stop Hydra. Um, so yeah, just quick, quick, quick. But a lot of similarities that we would see f- and that we remember from the the first Avenger. It's just you know Peggy in that Steve role. Yeah, exactly. And like Steve, she's she's willing to uh, make the ultimate sacrifice here. Uh, she's always going into it, uh, willing to sacrifice herself. Uh, for the cause and for the greater good So that's what she has most in common With, with Steve that she's just a very Selfless uh, brave uh, Heroic person So we get a look at uh, the, I, th- I thought The visual of Peggy jumping into the Castle that was the one that I wrote I pointed out that was like man this is early Batman Because it's dark mm. 
in the early Batman animated series where you could it's kind of yeah. like long and lankier sort of skinnyish figured characters, you know, and um that they were just reminded me of like a Saturday morning as a kid seeing that like flopping all around. Um so she yeah, and, and another note here, it's just I kept writing down she as her a character obviously moves quick and the show just moves so quick. The pace, the pace, yeah. the pace. Um so she's kicking a little bit of ass and she she's with Howard as uh Howard's obviously always scared to actually be in battle here. Um which way are we going? That way. Should we not have a plan? Who needs a plan? I have a shield. Howard's all nervous. A shield is not a plan. Oh Carter. Um I feel like we've seen a lot of versions of that kind of uh, that kind of exchange in in right. recent Marvel things, oh, like yeah. talking about what a plan is to people and making Falcon, a joke out Winter of Winter Soldier, Black Widow. Yeah, yeah you're right, yeah. Loki. You're right, all of them recently. Yeah. I have, have been like, "What's your plan?" Um, that's not a good plan. It's a terrible plan. Yeah, yeah that's funny. Um, so we uh, we now see the Red Skull who has. Unlocked a monster He's got the evil laugh right now The champion of Hydra has risen <laughs> They they see this Huge tentacled Beast And uh, they say What in the bloody hell Monsters No one prepared me for actual monsters As uh, Red Skull says You are too late Captain Carter I have summoned the champion of and this thing just kills him immediately. Yeah. It just, I love that. That was great. He just. There was a great just, crunch sound when, when it happened, too. Destroys him. And uh, Stark and Carter look up and go, whoa, okay, maybe we need a plan. Is Bucky and the, uh, and the 107th find the Hydra Stomper? They find the suit, and Steve is laying to the side. And he's handcuffed. Um, he's handcuffed. He's barely awake. As Bucky said, Stark was right, indestructible. As Steve kind of comes to, and uh, Bucky tries to wake him up. Don't, don't give up on me, pal. Come on. He says, I need a hand. Uh, get me in that suit. The generator should give it enough power. They ask for how long? Long enough. Maybe punch it. So I'm up for everything, but this is crazy. Yeah, so is Steve Rogers. <laughs> Crazy like a straw, you know. So uh <laughs> Steve Steve is uh back in the suit here as uh as <laughs> a Phoebe line in friends, I think. As, uh, <laughs> she is uh Steve asks about Peggy. Where's Peggy? He said she drew the high card and they point up top as uh Peggy and Stark are trying to figure out the monster Its tentacles appear to be growing At the rate it's spreading It could devour Europe But Stark has a plan If I can get to the controls I, just, I did like this slide too I can transpose the ingress And do science stuff <laughs> And then Peggy says yeah. You mean transpose the polarity And reverse the suction He says hey being the genius is my thing So that was a, a, a Cool little back and forth that they had I did like that yeah. is um he's uh he's he's at the controls now and he's looking and he's the stark uh the stark character i did kind of think was was fine in this uh he he seemed like mm-hmm. kind of funny and goofy and corny and kind of similar to how he was he's he's looking at the uh the control panels 
Show off, come on, come on, speak to me, baby. <laughs> Everything's in German. Great. <laughs> she yells, figure it out. Is this red, green, blue? Who paints a button blue? <laughs> and then she says, Don't tell me the American Playboy needs help pushing buttons. Hetty Lamar and I spent a weekend together, but she wasn't teaching me German. As uh they are in a bind, and just as Peggy is about to get crushed by this monster. Here comes Steve Saves the day He asks did you miss me And she says back every second Oh very sweet he's, uh, he's, And Howard says I told you it was indestructible And then And then, yeah. and then it, right as he says that The beast just like swats it away And then, like it, it stops working And <laughs> Steve says something like uh, what, what did you say Howard Um who ordered the calamari, Bucky, with another <laughs> one of his lines? As uh, the uh, the monster lets out this shriek that is almost like it's like a Stephen King monster when this thing shrieks, like it pierces everyone's ears and they they have to cover their ears. It it's almost able to like it it th- if this is the monster that we think it might be, uh, Shuma Gorath, who is a multi dimensional beast with superpowers and will likely be in. Doctor Strange then this is a monster That you know has powers Is more than just this huge Like octopus looking thing This is a thing that actually has some Freaking powers so Mm. Steve takes Bucky And the 107th to Safety and he comes back With Peggy to fight this monster And um they're Trying to push It into A portal in like basically through time and and Peggy is trying to push this thing in um she's doing everything she can so when Steve shows back up they they have this brief moment where Peggy is getting ready to make the ultimate sacrifice herself exactly like we saw Steve do in the first avenger and he shows up and he says to her no Peggy don't and she says, I have to, I can end this. And they have the line, You owe me a dance lesson. Yes, Saturday night. So yeah. that's the, the last little moment that they have. She pushes the monster through, she sacrifices herself along with it. And Steve is devastated to have lost her. But she shows up, time traveled, and she, we see Fury, who says, Ma'am. And she, has trans uh, gone through a portal into another dimension. The beast is now dead, as we see the beast kind of all cut up in pieces, like around her. Um, but it's Fury and it's Hawkeye, and they they're standing there and says, "Uh, sir, that's Captain Carter." She asks, "Where's Steve Rogers?" And this is when Fury tells her the war ended almost seventy years ago. Are you going to be okay? And you could tell immediately she's not. I mean, she misses. Yeah. She misses Steve, obviously, and the, the the love of her life. But she, like Steve always would too, and like Peggy does, she puts on a good face. She says, of course, we won the war. But she realizes she's in this different world, different dimension, yeah. and the man that she loved is long gone now, uh, 70 years in the past. As the Watcher closes things out for us, her one choice gave birth to a whole new history and gave the multiverse a new hero. As for me, these are my stories. I observe all that transpires here, but I do not, cannot, and will not interfere, for I am the Watcher. 
And that was uh, episode one of What yeah. If. Enjoyable, super en- like yeah. fun, enjoyable. This is not something I would tell people to skip or don't watch. There are critiques, mm-hmm. no doubt, that we've had through, and I'm sure we'll have moving forward. Um, mm-hmm. But it, and knowing, like, we know more about what's going to happen in the next couple episodes. Not about like I, I, I've got a little bit of an idea in the next one, and I'm kind of excited for it. So a little bit of a tease for episode two. It's supposed to be, um, I believe, Black Panther. Chinchala an episode and I think it's the last One of if not the last Or one of the last things that actually has Bo- uh, Bozeman's voice in it So yeah that's um, that's what I heard This, yeah, this I think it's the last pretty thing. powerful um, And cool. it's going to be I, The the what if stories moving forward Are going to be not played as safe It's not going to be exact recreations of stories Like this one was of the first Avengers So um, right. In watching it back, I and in knowing that that okay, the next episode isn't just going to be like Thor and Loki change places, right? Like right. it's not going to be things like that. They're going to be characters that are outside of their worlds into other worlds and really changing the way things are going to go moving forward. So knowing that, it make me feel a little bit better about how. Why they chose to to use this one as the introduction Because it's safe it, It's like a way yeah. to remind a lot of other people About where we've been Before we inevitably go forward um, Yeah, and, and there are things that we, we nitpicked and stuff But I, it, it was a little bit different than what I was expecting In that I expected the first one to not be quite as safe But um, again I've repeated it a few times. I understand why they did it, and I don't have too much of a yeah. problem with it. So moving forward, I do think we're going to get more exciting things where we're not going to be saying, "Oh, that was exactly like that scene in the first Avenger." Yeah, that's what I'm hoping for. I I really want to be surprised. I want uh, to be uh, taken someplace that I didn't expect. Um, I, I I wish I I almost wish that I didn't know anything about any of what where it's going, but like. I, I already know, spoiler alert yeah. right here, but Black Panther, it's like, what if Black Panther was um, Star-Lord? In the Guardians, Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, and, and, Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, if I didn't know that going into it, that alone might be something that's, you know, more entertaining to me mm-hmm. as a viewer to just be, oh, shit, we're doing this today? Like, uh, mm-hmm. but I no, agree. knowing... Yeah, I don't, I, you I kind don't of like set knowing. Yeah, mm-hmm. like I don't like knowing spoilers for almost anything that I go into, but I do. Right. I do like knowing because I, a lot of the response from people that that didn't love this or that wanted more was, oh, wow, I, I was expecting them to go a lot in a lot different directions. I like knowing mm-hmm. that we're going in different directions, so. Yeah. In in that sense, I'm glad I know that moving forward, this was intro, keeping it simple, and then we're really going to start to branch off in the next few. Um, but I agree with you. See, like now that I know that, I don't care about looking into any other episodes moving forward. It's I just like knowing that 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 is coming. Yeah, de- definitely. It's you know, Marvel's always got something around the corner to keep you invested. Uh, and I think that's sort of um, something that I was considering while watching this is like, would I would I even have rewatched this the second time if, you know, we weren't going to do this podcast 
or if I didn't know that the um, th- that there was all this interconnectivity that's still up ahead. Uh, but uh, you know, thinking about it uh, and rewatching it, I'm glad I did for whatever Me reason I, I did in the end. Uh, because I, I honestly feel like it's almost a coin flip of if those things didn't exist and I was just judging on my experience watching this episode, would I even watch next week or would I maybe wait a little bit? Would I would it be something that I gave up on? Uh, it's borderline for me for, for that. It's borderline. <laughs> me too. Um, and I think mm-hmm. in, because – yeah, it's, we, it's weird because like I said, it's – and a lot of it I think had to do with the – the presentation of the first episode in that it was just oh we've seen almost this exactly right you know it just didn't feel a whole lot new and any of the things that felt sort of new were as much as we love the nods to old things and they make you smile the stuff that felt kind of new and fresh were some of the best parts so 100% that that's yeah. what we want we want to see just like what this comic was when it ran things can get really crazy you know, taking these characters that we know and that we've seen in worlds and putting them in a completely different world and having them have to make different choices than the other character in that world would have made. I think we'll get a lot more of that in episodes two and three from just the sounds of it moving forward. And um, yeah. I'm very uh, interested. And, and like Tim said, and I said a couple times now, if you only watch this once the first time and maybe you weren't quite as as high on it or you're like, oh, it's fine. Watch it a second time. I bet you will get a better Feel for it even if you did you don't Love it I think you'll like it More the second time than you did The first time because you'll pick a few more Things up and it'll Because shows are quick when You watch them two or three times they slow down For you Mm -hmm. movies or shows Or anything that's like at a fast pace anytime You do something multiple times it slows Down for you so you'll You'll be able to see and, and pick things up a little bit more and um, I'm excited To uh, get on this journey Along the what if train With Tim Kelly TK yes, sir. Tim thank you for coming back and hanging out With us again I look forward to chatting with you next week We'll get, we'll get some uh, TV shows For a while we'll have a movie coming out I think in uh, in just like a month or so We've been seeing a lot of the uh, the Promotion and presentation for Shang-Chi which, uh, which yeah. should be Really cool and that's kind of a, a whole New world too that's like a a story and a tale that we don't really know much about about it all in the MCU. Yeah, I'm really pumped for that. I mean, uh, this is n- like new ground. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love kung fu movies. I I love um, what they tried to do. I think with Iron Fist and the stuff on 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 Netflix, they did much better with with Daredevil and those shows. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I I can't wait to see that one and where it kind of fits in. I did get a little spoiler from the. Trailers that I think the abomination is in it, so that's kind of interesting. I, I'm very intrigued to see where that takes us and how that fits in the overall scheme of things. Are we going to see that tie into Thunderbolts there? And uh, I'm I'm excited to see how they make uh, the Ten Rings, uh, how they how that works in the MCU version. I mean, we we've already seen the Mandarin or this early. You know, red herring version of the Mandarin introduced in Iron Man three. Now I'm stoked to see the real thing. So that'll be really fun. And Simu Liu, who is uh, the the star, who is from Kim's Convenience, he's great. Yeah. Um, if you and that's a show on Netflix, if you haven't seen, it, it's really funny. And if you follow him on social media, he is so 
excited about this. I mean, who yeah. wouldn't be? Who, who like anyone in this situation in like this life changing role? Like you're you're gonna be in the MCU now. He everywhere he's going, he's picking pictures of himself like on the you know on the <laughs> billboard behind him, and he's like in Times Square like taking pictures of like the the video the, the trailer playing in Times Square. He's so excited for this, and so uh, he said that his parents didn't really know like know what a big deal it was until the movie poster well now they're they're finally proud of me you know it was just funny like to see him just it's like a little like a kid growing through it because i watched all of his years on kim's convenience and always thought he's really funny like good looking very well spoken guy and uh this is cool for him like a big opportunity that has already changed his life it's like if you're now it's always been this way but even more so now with all of the the prequels, the sequels, the origin stories, the 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 animation where you could have your voice. Like if you get a role in this Star Wars world or this MCU world, like you could be set for the rest of your life. <laughs> you know, just yeah. it is uh, it's cool. So lots of stuff on the horizon here in the MCU. Tim Kelly going to be aboard with me always on that's what G said. TK, give us your plugs uh, one more time. Where can we follow you and the ice cream fire? Yeah, you can follow me on uh, Twitter and Instagram at Tim is not funny. Uh, you can also check out my music project called Ice Cream Fire on Spotify, SoundCloud, anywhere that you stream music. TK, I look forward to talking to you again next week. Make sure to give Tim a follow and uh, download all the uh, the music there. Really, really great stuff from Tim and, uh, and Jackie. So thank you so much, buddy. I look forward to talking to you next week. All right. Thank you, man. I had a blast. Don't go anywhere, folks. Still plenty more on That's What G Said. Thank you to TKA Tim Kelly for helping us out. We'll be back with your weekly episode recaps of What If. And uh, we're going to head into the old wrestling rewatch with Andrew Champagne SummerSlam 2016. But don't forget about SarahCandles.com, all natural soy wax candles free from those toxins and those carcinogens. Promo code GINO will get you 10% off your purchase from CERACandles.com, SarahCandles.com. We had to 2016, a, a really good SummerSlam show. It's a little too long um, in a couple spots, but some high highs on the show as we get into the old wrestling rewatch SummerSlam 2016 with Andrew Champagne. Oh, yeah. Old wrestling rewatch with Andrew Champagne and Darren Zocali. <laughs> Couple weeks out from uh, SummerSlam, so we're in that SummerSlam mode right now. The old wrestling rewatch is going to head to SummerSlam 2016. A little bit of a bummer because this was Darren Zocali's selection, but he won't be with us this time. Darren and some family friends uh, had some uh, some personal issues that he needed to tend to, so we hope everything is okay with DZ and uh, the family friends. But Andrew Champagne joins me, and Andrew. This is a, a show that has a lot of good on it, but it it ran into a problem that WWE has run into for a lot of the early network days. And I think the pandemic sort of in a weird way um, kind of forced them back into shortening the shows up. But in an era where baseball is trying to shorten their games up, everyone's trying to shorten up episodes and things like that. WWE keeps going longer and this show if this was just a little bit shorter of a show it would have been really good it's over 4 hours if it was 3 even 315 
I'd feel a lot better about it. Not that I even feel bad about it, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah, this is a case where the first hour 30, hour 45 is some of the best stuff you're going to see at a SummerSlam. Everything up to and including the tremendous AJ Styles, John Cena match is awesome. Loved it. Perfect. I hit pause to get up and I think get a drink or something. I looked and I wasn't even halfway through the show. And at that point I went, "Uh uh-oh, this can't be good. Because it's like any good story. If the climax is in the middle of the story and you've got two more hours left to to try to pick people back up or keep things going, chances are it's going to go downhill rather than uphill. And that's exactly what happened on this show. The first half of this SummerSlam has some really fun stuff. The back half of the show has a very good Finn Balor-Seth Rollins match. It's got some other stuff on there we'll talk about that's at least noteworthy. But my goodness, for as good as this show is, there's just too dang much of it. This was with the two-hour pre-show also. So, you know, you you have fans that caught a big 12-man tag, and then they had another tag match in the pre-show, and then a Sheamus-Cesaro match. That was actually really good. They had a good series. But... They've already been filing in sitting They've already watched three matches on a pre-show Then the show opens up They're hot for Enzo and Cass Big pop for them when they come out Good women's match Ms. Apollo Crews match was like eh, It wasn't much You know, It's something that probably could have been On a Smackdown or Raw and been, been better That's fine But they get so up for this incredible Style Cena match that I think is at least A four and a half you know, and if people personally like it and want to go even higher, I'm not going to talk you off that. Because anytime you start getting above four into the four and a half range, it's personal preference, really. That you know, there it's it's just splitting hairs. There's there. some nitpicky stuff, yeah. Yeah, you know, um, it's it's a bummer though because it just after that match, like you said, the life of the crowd was just they were just tired. They like they got all the way up and it felt like oh that was about it. And there was still some good stuff on the show that I, I feel a little bit bad for, but it it's just too much. Heck, we don't even have it like a match carded, but there's even like a Rusev um Roman Reigns angle that's sort of like a what would be considered a squash that takes up a few minutes here too. So there's just a a hell of a lot. Some of it really good, but just so much that it's funny. This this is what I kind of feel like a lot of times when I watch AEW. Their their shows, um, and and I and it sometimes it's really good because it's like you come off of a Monday Night Raw sometimes where it's like ah oh, there was the same rematches or not much, and then you get AEW where it's like boom 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 boom. But the problem is sometimes is is that it's boom 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 boom, and some of the things that are really good and probably could use a few extra minutes to breathe and to really focus on don't get as much focus because they're trying to get everybody on the show, they're trying to um to really keep everyone happy, um. We'll get into this. It didn't feel like anything was like short changed because this is the network time, so they can go long. But that's the problem: is that you're better just being telling a few other people, "Hey, Apollo and Miz, you know what? We want to get you on the show, Roman and 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 you know, uh, Rusev. We want to get you on. Maybe we'll do a little backstage thing, and that's it. You know, Apollo, Miz, we can get you fifteen or twenty minutes on TV versus what five and a half to six minutes here that is going to get really lost in the shuffle. Yeah, and. We've mentioned the Miz-Apollo Cruz match. It's important to point out, this is not a bad match. 
No, no, not at all. The, the problem is, for one, there was no build at all whatsoever. The promo that they played leading up to it talked about Miz butchering Apollo Cruz's name. That's the build for a match at SummerSlam, the third biggest show of the year. Uh, um, okay. And then you have Apollo Cruz controlling 80% of a five and a half minute match. Miz hitting his finish and going home. It's just, and I put this down. It's a specific thing. This is a convergence of things I don't like because you're putting people in bad situations Mm -hmm. for no reason where it does no benefit to anyone. Now, there are a couple of other examples of this on this show that we'll get into. There's a six women tag match later on in the show that went 11 or 12 minutes, and you could have conceivably cut that in half with absolutely no loss to match quality. Yeah. Um, and the problem is, is that like I get, I get they were at the point now where they're trying to do the. This isn't, this isn't the divas um, era as much as it was like legitimate women's wrestlers, right? Those, those six in the ring actually could all go for the most part. Um, even Carmella and Alexa were still kind of new, but they they could all still pr- go pretty well. It's, it's a, it, it's weird though. You're right because they, they, they didn't, they didn't do anything for them. They didn't no. get anything out of that match. They were put in a bad spot to where the crowd's dead for them. They're the ladies are working hard. I mean, the same thing for Ambrose and Ziggler. Something just didn't mesh with them, and we'll get to that, you know, match in a little bit. It didn't click, but the guys are trying. They're working hard. The crowd just didn't really get back up until probably like the midway point of the Rollins. Balor match oh, and the then, crowd was up before the match it was just for all the wrong reasons which we'll get to the yeah. other match where it just didn't seem like anything made sense was the main event of the show yeah. and we're gonna have a lot of fun talking about that one all told though it's a very good SummerSlam. it is it's it really just, is it could have been a great one with some very minor alterations that would have helped people immensely Let's get to the start of SummerSlam 2016 from the Barclays Center in Brooklyn. We've got a video package narrated by Michael Rappaport here hyping up New York City in in Brooklyn. They've got, you know, clips of stuff uh, from the city and then a uh, little stuff uh, uh, promotion for the big matches on the show and then uh, Pyro. And we get started with Wrestle or with WrestleMania with SummerSlam, but it did have a big like WrestleMania kind of a feel to it. Um, the the set I thought looked really good. Uh, Michael Cole welcomes us in, and uh, we'll have some fun because uh, I know I'll set you up for this one, Andrew. Enzo and Cass come in, uh, come out, huge pop for both of them. And remember how over these two guys were. Oh man, the crowd just loved to to sing along with them, to chant with Enzo's intro. But what, honestly, why did we know that Enzo was pretty insane, Andrew? Here's the thing. First of all, they made so many over-the-top references to New York, some of which landed, some of which didn't. But they made so many over-the-top references, you knew they were jobbing. They had it written all over their chests, all over their faces, what have you. So they opened the show. And the crowd is molten hot for these guys. And any time I rewatch Enzo and Cass from about this time, I just keep thinking to myself, morons. 
If you're Enzo and Cass, how the hell do you find ways to screw this up? Enzo and Cass should have been the opening match of every WWE show for 10 years with that act. All they had to do was go out, do the, my name is Enzo Amore, and this is Big Cass. That's all they had to do. And it's not like either of them could work, but it didn't matter. They didn't need to work in order for that gimmick to be over. You put them out there with a couple of guys that can lead them through, and all of a sudden, you've got a formula that these guys can work, and you're fine. But then WWE tries to break them up. They have a feud. Goes nowhere. Awful. Enzo gets a concussion. He's then in the cruiserweight division. And they got hurt at one point. I think Cass tore his ACL at mm -hmm. some point. And then Enzo went off to 205 Live. And then they both got released. They both had their demons. Uh, But why why is Enzo the most insane of all? uh, Yeah. because Enzo Amore, and I don't know if this is what you were trying this, to lead it, to. You know whatever. where I'm going with this. This is exactly where I'm going. That's the Enzo line. Amore cheated on Liv Morgan. Thank How you. the hell does that happen? That's it. That's it. That's it. We should have just stopped right there. As soon as that was like a piece of information that we had to judge this guy, it should have been like, what? Now, before what? anybody jumps into any ridiculous conclusions about us being perverts or whatnot, I'm not even going there. This is an objective fact of human nature. Look at Enzo Amore. Now go look at Liv Morgan. Who's up a class? Who's the reacher and who's the settler in that relationship? And if you're the reacher, you don't do anything to fix something that's not broken. Oh. That, that's it for me And it's it's sad when you watch how over these guys were Now Kaz is getting Very a run sad. In uh, an impact right now And he was a guy that that A couple different times I think you mentioned That he was getting a, getting ready to get a push And then he got hurt uh, He was a big guy that you know Vince loved um, He's fine in the, in the ring But They are such A perfect example of Some of the parts Right yep. because Together, they're just big guy, small guy. Enzo can talk. Kaz isn't even that much of a big guy that can move. Everybody, everybody kind drink. Of, glug, 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 glug. Kind of drink. <laughs> but he, together, they are a great, really simple formula of a tag team. It's just old school tag team wrestling. You got the small guy who sells all match. He gets beat up. And then you get the hot tag to the big guy He comes in, they have some fun Tandem moves together where Kaz Throws him around, the crowd chants With them, the crowd loves their their You know, their spots and their Catchphrases, and it's just It's perfect, you look at some of these Acts on the, on, recently in the WWE, and that's what's been concerning With, you know, a lot of the recent releases That have happened, is that, this is an Act that, and obviously When we found out after, like, you know Okay I don't blame this one on the WWE as much as I blame it on them because we heard that they were not great backstage. They thought very highly of themselves. They were not good in the locker room. And so that I just look at all these acts and you go, gosh, WWE, like this was a a hot act. They were over. They could have been the new age outlaws for years. Just like you said, come out, open the crowd, do sort of what the new day does 
or the Usos when the Usos would kind of have their you know their start with the, and they would come out and do their their the, the dance the Samoan kind of uh you know um intro in it, it was it just been easy money for them for a long time but it's unfortunate it's cuz they're not spectacular in the ring but it's it's like simple you know what you're going to get from them it's going to be a fine tag match and that's and that's really what you got here you know it's yep. nothing it's it's nothing special it's nothing bad you've got two good workers for them to build off it makes them feel like a bigger deal being in the ring with Jericho and KO who didn't have a lot to do as singles at this point so you put them together and they were super super entertaining and basically you you know what you're going to get here you know um heels work over Enzo they set up the hot tag by Cass uh, they're mocking Enzo and quick tags from the heels. Uh, Jericho um, does one of his ask him when he's putting Enzo in the headlock, talking to the ref, which is great. Uh, drop kick. KO gets in with a senton. Owens uh, runs the ropes, headlock. Um, Enzo tries to battle out, but they can't. Um, they stop him. So they're just really working on Enzo here. Um, KO frog splash uh, on uh, Enzo for two. He's trying to fight back, but um, heels to doing a great job. Um, KO blows a kiss to Jericho, and then he misses a cannonball. So that was the opportunity that Enzo needed. He gets the hot tag to Big Kaz, who uh, comes in with a shoulder tackle, big kick, and then a slam, and elbow drop. So Kaz is a house of fire here, big boot to the face uh, with Jericho. Then he tags Enzo, but Owens trips him up, and uh, then Kaz goes into the turn uh, into the ring post. They uh, cannonball. Against uh, two Kaz against the barricade Enzo goes uh, Jericho front suplex off the top rope DDT off the top Enzo runs the ropes but KO Tosses him up in the air and Jericho hits a code Breaker on Enzo so Jericho gets the win this thing Went um, what 12 Over 12 minutes uh, and This is not WrestleMania 30 Daniel Bryan versus Triple H opener that we just discussed, or even the Royal Rumble 2014 with Daniel Bryan and uh, and Bray Wyatt. But this is exactly what a wrestling pay per view show opener is supposed to be—an act that the crowd is going to get hot for, even though they're not going to go over. That's fine. But they came out, they get the crowd hot, the heels win. But it's not. Necessarily like a cheating win But it's kind of dirty and, and Heelish and it nobody looked bad In this and these are two teams that Were fine moving forward it was a, a really solid Way to start the show Yeah this was fun I had it at a solid Three stars it's a good tag Match and it is a simple Formula that's what you need when You have acts like Enzo and Cass Who get over with their gimmicks And with what they say on the mic When the bell rings if you're a tag Team You need dance partners that can lead them through and give them some credibility from bell to bell. And there were no better opponents for them at this time to do that with than Jericho and Owens, two world-class workers who were finding their stride working together, doing a lot of the same stuff that guys like Jericho and Eddie Guerrero would do when they tag different things like that. It was a case where you had Enzo getting thrown around and getting beaten up and building up drama for the hot tag that eventually came in. What I liked in this particular match, and this was one of my favorite parts of the Jericho-Kevin Owens duo, was Kevin Owens showed a lot of personality. He was taunting people. He was tagging Chris Jericho and yelling, yeah. Yeah, and, and yelling high five when he tagged him. Um, 
he grabs a chin lock and goes, this is my show. I just let Enzo be in it. Stuff like that. It's really, really cool to where he was able to show some of his sense of humor and being able to work with Jericho, I think really helped him be able to do that. It's just a shame how that storyline ended where they were put in an absolute no win situation at the following WrestleMania here though. Good, solid match. Enzo and Cass were game. Jericho and Owen showed up. Good match. Good finish. I liked the ending. Uh, this was totally, this was cool. Just check the box and move on. You got the show off to a hot start with a match that was probably the perfect length. It did not overstay its welcome or anything like that. Nothing wrong here. Yeah, solid start. I agree. I think I had it just under three, like two and three quarters. That's so like right in that range. Uh, good fun start to the show as we head backstage. Shane McMahon, Daniel Bryan, they are the SmackDown general managers. They're backstage and they run into Mick Foley, who's the Raw GM. And John Stewart shows up with his son. Remember last year? This entire thing is like a Mad Lib. This I sentence. know. Let's right? yeah. John Stewart in 2015 got involved at SummerSlam in the Rollins uh, Cena match. Um, John Stewart just talks about how Stephanie's so evil. You know, he's he's uh, abuses her power, and obviously he's talking trash on Stephanie, and she's right behind him. So um, she shows up and she says, "What good is power if you can't abuse it?" Um, John Stewart though has got some love for uh, the New Day. Xavier Woods shows up in Kofi They got the trombone and the bootios And so they all uh, head off to hang out together Just a way to get everybody on the, the show Here in the so back there's, there, there's a couple of things that I need to point out here Please Before do. we move on So first of all This is in the dueling GMs period That precisely no one asked for That resulted in zero good segments Between the duo of Shane McMahon Daniel Bryan and Stephanie McMahon McFoley You have four people who really know how to cut promos, who know what it takes to draw money, and this is the best you can do with them? The dueling GM stuff for <clears throat> brand supremacy? No, stop it. This was awful. There was no excuse for it. And poor Mick Foley just looked so uncomfortable from start to finish in this entire storyline. He would eventually get fired as GM and get replaced by the returning Kurt Angle when Angle came back to be inducted into the Hall of Fame. Angle in that role was terrific. Foley always seemed like a fish out of water. John Stewart shows up here, and he has a really good line when Stephanie's trying to intimidate him. He looks at the other three guys there and goes, she seems nice. I thought that was funny. <laughs> yeah. And the other thing that I need to point out is when New Day and John Stewart walk off stage and they go down that little corridor, Gino, we've both been in arenas, you know, before the world broke and we've seen wrestling shows and we know the layout of arenas. Is it just me or did it all look like they were going into a bathroom? Just the way that that was set up. That <laughs> totally looked like they shot it just the way to get them off camera real quick. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's just seemed that way. And I can't get that image out of my head. The fact that two grown men came out of a bathroom with trombones and Breakfast cereal And then went back in with a third Guy it just it, Deeply weird and deeply bizarre But all told fun little segment So We then get a look At the women's title video package And gosh it's funny For for a company And, and a guy Vince who we hear That says a lot of times Wins and losses don't matter, pal Or hey, who cares about that? It doesn't matter They'll think who's important Who we tell them to think is important 
doesn't it just feel a little bit cooler when they do things like, oh yeah, here's Charlotte. She's 13 and 2 in pay-per-view matches. She's 11 and 0 in singles matches. It's not that big of a deal, but doesn't it just feel as we like sports? I know we suspend our disbelief to watch wrestling, but it just makes you as a fan watching going, "Oh yeah." You know, like I'm getting rewarded for watching all this stuff. Yeah. They're- so I I completely agree with that Now the thing that gets me A little bit about this period And at the time I thought it was weird But I've grown to appreciate it a little bit more So the story here is It's a rematch from Raw A couple of weeks prior to that In uh, late July Now that Raw by the way is notable For a couple reasons It had this match Which was the first of six title changes Between then and the end of the year For Charlotte and Sasha It seemed like their strategy every week was Eh, just send them out there Let them work for 20 minutes Whoever wins, wins Whoever doesn't win Is going to go over in a couple weeks anyway Let's just send them out there And let them have a really good match You know, it's not rocket science It worked But that show had a couple other interesting tidbits on it I looked this up One of them is It was the show Where one James Ellsworth cut the promo that got him a job with WWE, the Any Man with Two Hands as a Fighting Chance promo. Uh, Also on that show, one Nia Jax had a squash match on that show. All-time great trivia question. Do you remember who she squashed in Pittsburgh? It's got to be Britt Baker. Indeed. It was Britt Baker. That it was great. less than 90 seconds, and she got her ass kicked. Because that but, was when they were running the simultaneous squashes with yep. Nia and Braun. Yep, exactly. So you wind up with that. You wind up with a show that's a really good little historical curiosity <laughs> before I looked at it. But going back to your original point, yeah, when you see stuff like that, A, it's great for people who want to dig in. B, it's an easy way to tell a story. C, you get nice round numbers every once in a while, and you wind up with stuff like streaks, like The Undertaker at WrestleMania, which nobody really knew about until Taker was facing Diesel at WrestleMania 12 or WrestleMania whatever. You get things like Goldberg, where they just decided to jack up the number as much as they possibly could, and it wound up being a case where they stumbled into a formula of just, eh, send them out and have them kill people. But... It's really cool. Completely agree with you on that. So we get uh, Charlotte alone. Uh, Dana Brooke is banned from ringside here. And we get uh, Sasha Banks, women's champ, versus Charlotte. Um, Each of them trying to end the match early, going for pinfalls. Um, Charlotte uh, goes uh, into the middle turnbuckle. um, And uh, Sasha goes uh, headfirst into the mat. There was a spot there that they kind of botched a little bit. Um, Charlotte goes for a submission But uh, Sasha comes back with a, a knee strike Clothesline, drop kick um, She's kind of selling a back injury a little bit here So Charlotte goes for a backbreaker um, Then she starts really working on the back Then the f- figure four uh, Sasha kicks uh, away And Charlotte continues to work on the back Hip toss into the turnbuckle So you're getting th- That's what's good about the this match and like you mentioned When these two had been going back and forth You're not getting them going out there and doing the same Thing this no. this is this is Legitimate good ring work now They're picking a body part they're telling a Story in the ring that has You know been a story they've been Telling through other matches too which Is just not only are these women Super athletic 
incredible just ring in ring chemistry, but they're also they've got a great mind for the business. They don't want to just go out there and show you what they can do athletically. They want to tell a story, which is just great. And um, we get a Charlotte going up top for a razor's edge, but Sasha counters into a hurricane Rana. And it was a nasty spot. It looked really like tight. She almost hit her. I think she did like hit her neck, but she didn't really get hurt badly from it. Um, they go back and forth, big, big blows back and forth. Um, hard chops by Sasha. Um, she moves out of a spot in the corner and then double knee attack to the back of, of Charlotte. Fans are already getting really into this. This is awesome. Um, we get uh, back in the ring. They're outside working on each other. Back in the ring, Sasha gets a two count, and then she goes for a backstabber, but she can't really hit it. Charlotte goes for natural selection, but then Sasha counters it into the bank statement. Then Charlotte gets out of it. She hits a neck breaker, then a chop block. This is a really good sequence here these last couple minutes. Um, Charlotte, then uh, a natural selection for a two count. She yells, I'm better than you. Sasha with a tilt a whirl, uh, she counters a tilt a whirl slam with a head scissors into a bank statement. And then Charlotte counters that, laying on top of her. Sasha doesn't let go. And Charlotte's able to get the, the, uh, get the win uh, by pinfall because Sasha wouldn't let go. A cool spot here. Um, I had this thing. In the three and a half to four range And just in the the stretch of really good matches for these two You know, I keep saying this Uh, We got to stop agreeing so much Because (laughs) I have it at three and three quarters So right exactly between three and a half and four Um, The only hole in this match was Really early Charlotte goes up top And it looks like she's trying to do this top rope backbreaker kind of thing they show the replay and it just looks like she drops Sasha on the top rope, which first of all, that's a bump. You have to be insane to take. And Sasha takes a fair amount of those kinds of bumps. We did the Bailey Sasha match from takeover Brooklyn in 2015 with that reverse Rana that just looked horrifying. Um, when Sasha Banks wants to be, she can be an absolute crazy person. Um, so bam, bumps like that for her are, uh, old hat, and one of the reasons why she's one of the best at what she does. These two work really, really fast. There's not a lot of breathers. There's not a lot of rest holds. These two were basically told, okay, you've got 15 minutes, go sprint. Mm-hmm. And that's what they did. they did. Now, there are a couple of really good sequences near the end. You mentioned the Razor's Edge Splash Mountain thing that Sasha gets the Rana out of. That's really cool. I'm also a sucker for when Sasha does the bank statement and it looks like the per- person in the hold is going to get to the ropes, but Sasha kicks, kicks them off the ropes. Oh, I love I that. I love that spot. When she does the kick Such or the smack. Spot. Yeah, it is yeah. great. So th- there were a lot of good things about this match. It ended a little bit suddenly, but this was the second of six title changes between the two of them between July and the end of the year. This was not intended to be a blow-off match. This was intended to be the latest very good match in a series of very good matches. My personal favorite is those two main evented Monday Night Raw with a cage match in Los Angeles that I was there for, and that was one of the best matches I have ever seen live. It's outstanding. It's on the network somewhere, I think. I think Peacock's gotten their act together with Uploading a bunch of old television shows So it's somewhere in October Of 2016 that match And that's something that you really should go out of your way To see I also believe that show was the one Where 
Chris Jericho put New Day on the list multiple times and Xavier Woods talked about how Kevin Owens can't jump over anything because he's fat. That was a tremendous show, if I'm remembering that show correctly. We then uh, get a little backstage segment with Luke Gallows and Anderson and AJ Styles teaming up and teasing some Bullet Club interaction here. They did their, uh, we're going to beat up John Cena and, uh, and then Finn Balor. This was up. cool. So they all are teasing the Bullet Club stuff with a lot of people like the internet wrestling fans were, were loving. So this was, yeah, this was a really cool uh, moment for uh, a lot of the uh, the hardcores out there. As we then get a look at the SmackDown announced team, Moro, JBL, and Otunga. Because it's time for a SmackDown match, the IC Championship match. And uh, just Moro's great You know he's given us info The IC title has changed 14 times at SummerSlam And mentioning how it, you know The odds are very good that it will And this is when Maurice had just come back with Miz So she looks great And this this is when Miz Had, had just got a little rejuvenated Because remember we just talked about Miz What was it 2014 And he was nothing, well, nothing. That was a bad fairness, period for him In fairness Miz didn't really do a whole lot to be rejuvenated other than inviting his wife to TV. You're right. If was I just may a, say something that's a, here, that's a great way of putting it. Maurice yes. is freaking gorgeous. She just jumps off the screen. Yes. She really does. Um, she looks incredible here. And she just adds that something that felt like it was a little, it was missing with the Miz. Yep. She she compliments him so well. And um so he, yeah, he was back now in a in an important position, and this is just, you know, to get the Miz on the show. There was no build for this match at all, and it's unfortunate because Apollo, he now is your IC champ, and he's now gotten at least a little bit of a storyline and uh, and a character change. It's kind of funny because JBL actually mentions that Apollo's family left Nigeria for freedom because of poverty, and that's sort of his new. Gimmick now he talks about how his family Was kind of persecuted but then his He's like he's the royalty He's the you know he's got the The uh, the family of, of rich Royalty before so he kind of uses that To uh, to play on it and It just it, It's it's not bad but it's Five and a half it just didn't even get going I think it was 545 um, Miz DDT off the top rope uh, Apollo hits a drop kick um, The crowd's kind of doesn't really know they, they don't they haven't gotten a reason to really get behind Apollo So they're not really all that into it here um, And they don't really you know at shows like this Miz is actually usually gets pretty decent responses in, in big shows Because the crowd's kind of they don't hate Miz they, they hate him like a wrestling hate you know like a heel hate But a lot of people kind of appreciate Miz's work and and, and cheer him you know in shows like this So it's like they didn't really hate Miz that much. They don't really love Apollo, and it's nothing special in the ring. Cruz with a crossbody, Olympic Slam, Insegiri, uh, Miz blocks a moonsault, um, Cruz power slam. Miz hits a clothesline in the corner, but then Cruz blocks it over. It's overhead belly to belly. Some some impressive looking offense. It just this is a match that either shouldn't have been on the show or needed to go five or six more minutes to get cooking and to really like. Start to to get people into it. Um, Apollo's distracted by Maurice, and um, um, he misses a corner splash, hits the ring post, and then Miz hits the skull crushing finale for the win. Just about six minutes here. Yeah, there's no heat for this at all whatsoever, and that's not the fault of the two guys in the ring. 
the crowd had just seen a hot opener and a very, very good women's match. This was the cool-down match. They got put in a rough spot. Apollo Crews does some cool stuff at this juncture, but he's just not over. This is a case where if you're going to do this match, you do it on television, you give Cruz some exposure as the guy that dominated most of the match, but just made a simple mistake at the end of it to where the heel champ was able to get his finish and come out of it by the skin of his teeth. Now, the only other thing that I'll mention about this match, JBL had a really bad night on commentary here. And I'm hard on JBL's commentary a lot, but this particular one, he starts bragging about how SmackDown is the A show. Who cares? If you're watching Smack, if you're watching SummerSlam rather, why would anyone care what the A show is? What the B show is? No one cares. No. No, now, not at all. That's one. The other is he just starts spouting off these ridiculous things in the middle of the match, including talking about and this is a direct quote from him about how the Rock modeled his career after the Miz. That's not even funny. Just shut up, dude. Because even at that point, The Rock's one of the biggest stars in Hollywood. Just no. Just stop. Somebody mute his mic. Have the rest of the announced team no-sell him at that point. That's just, it's obnoxious, and it adds nothing to the broadcast. I understand if you're putting JBL out there to be sort of the heel commentator, but at the same time, this wasn't boo, you suck heat. This is, I'm going to go to the Spanish announce team because I'm not going to be actively offended, Heat. Thankfully, Mauro Ranallo was good enough this evening to sort of offset how bad his broadcast partner was. As far as this match goes, just there's nothing to it. It's unfortunate no. because these two guys deserve better and they worked hard, but they got put in a no-win situation. And if you're trying to cut things from this show, this is one of those things you cut. You could have just said, hey, look. You know, let's get you, you can cut kind a of promo or something. And, or go and, on the pre-show. Right, or go on the Easy. pre-show. Exactly. Easy. SmackDown, we'll make you the main event. You, we'll give you 15 minutes or 20 minutes. You know, you can really go and have a, a big match for Apollo. Or, you know, we'll let you open the show and go 15. Yeah. It, yeah, you know, that would have been, been a much better option. Um, as we move along, got a commercial for WWE 2K17. Goldberg, then- Goldberg, that's called foreshadowing, kids. I thought this video package was incredible. The yep. Santa, AJ Styles one, oh my gosh. Because remember, AJ Styles now has been in the WWE now for just six months. So eight months, I guess, at this point. So he, he debuted at the beginning of the year. So he, he'd been hot, but this is the biggest match that he's had in his WWE career here coming up. And we get to see AJ Styles' history and John Cena talking about how he loves WWE and he doesn't care about, you know, people making fun of him and this and that. And I just thought, you know, this was really, really well done. And the crowd is hot, as you would imagine. Singing John Cena sucks was the theme song, and I, I I love this match. Drop kick from AJ right off the bat, and he's kind of acting like he's you know really laying it on, playing around like the heel shtick. Then Cena punches him and goes at him, uh, real aggressive. And uh, you can kind of hear Cena calling a couple spots early on, but he's he's pumped. And this match gets. Good. We get a big bo- uh, back body drop from Cena. Drop kick for two. 
Let's go Cena Cena sucks chance AJ comes uh, with some back fist Clothesline forearm shoulder tackle Spinning slam um, And uh, five knuckle shuckle from Cena Crowd is kind of booing him Then AJ jumps up he counters an AA Hits a Pele kick and He hits the style clash Boom it's like whoa Cena kicks out at two Then he hits an AA And Styles kicks out Not even like seven or eight minutes in And these guys have both kicked out So Styles puts Cena on his shoulders He's got the torture rack in for a little bit Then he hits a spinning powerbomb For two Cena goes a slingshot into the turnbuckle Um, Then there's like a cutter Sort of like an RKO Um, AJ misses a forearm Then he comes back with the Yushi Garoshi Which is basically like an AA But he he uses the knee to the back of the neck Um, Cena hits the code red then Styles uh, face first slam for two uh, This is just really great stuff here Springboard from AJ Cena catches him by the leg And then locks in the STF AJ counters cross face The che- uh, Cheers like crazy from the crowd here um, Calf crusher submission Cena um, uh, turns it into the STF Then AJ uh, gets out of it Hard kick to the head a back elbow by Cena Tornado DDT Cena goes up top, he hits that guillotine leg drop I mean, Cena's busting some stuff out That you don't see him bust out all that much um, Styles, Springboard, Hurricane Rana for two He hits the phenomenal forearm That that I thought was it And a lot of people did too We're right around 20 minutes at this point Then you get a big clothesline from Cena And he goes to the middle rope AJ on his shoulders He hits the attitude adjustment from the middle rope But AJ kicks out at two Um, Cena can't believe it He's got this look on his face It's something that like The the peacemaker would be looking like In Suicide Squad And he He's not sure what to do And then uh, He goes for another AA But AJ lands on his feet And he hits a Styles Clash um, he goes to the apron. He hits the phenomenal forearm. This thing went twenty over twenty three minutes, and it was. This is my favorite of their matches. They have some good chemistry. They're very much like Punk and Cena. If you put them in the ring together, it's going to be really, really good. And you can pick out three or four matches that they have together that are excellent. I think this is probably my favorite one because the crowd is so into it. We don't get a whole lot of schmozzy. Um, outside interference or anything like that I, I'm Between four And a half and five on this one You know I'm probably Just under five And um, if you If you feel differently you know that's fine Or anyone else that does I would not argue that With you this is a damn good match And a really really Good sort of end to the first Half of this show Four and three quarters so we're once again in complete and total lockstep on this. <laughs> yeah. um, so I'm very happy that this narrative has gone away over the years. Because for a while, the prevailing narrative among the internet wrestling community and the people that consider themselves smart fans, some of them at least, was Cena can't wrestle. He's terrible in the ring. Stop it. John Cena's darn good in the ring. Is he Flair? No. Is he Steamboat? No. Is he Sting 2.0? Yeah. That's pretty much exactly what he is. And if you put him in the ring with an all-time great worker, 
you're going to get a great match. And there are multiple examples of this. You get this match. You get the other match that he had with AJ at Money in the Bank, which was great, even with the shenanigans at the end. You get the match with CM Punk at Money in the Bank, where Punk could not have gone against anyone else and created that kind of an atmosphere inside that arena. Only Cena could have had that match with CM Punk. You get both of his matches with Shawn Michaels. At the WrestleMania, Rock. you get the, the Rock one. matches. You get, yeah, there are a couple matches that he's had with guys like Randy Orton, guys Batista. like Triple H, Batista. He's got a, a good really resume. Good yeah. resume, yeah. <laughs> Daniel I mean, Bryan, SummerSlam. Yeah, That's a good his, match. His debut match with Kurt Angle, for goodness sake. First mm-hmm. match in the company, and he looks like a million dollars. This guy could work, and I am very happy that the narrative has gone from if Cena wins, we riot, to if Cena shows up, we cheer, which right, is exactly cool. which is what a sign said at Money in the Bank when he made the return that he made. Now, as far as this match goes, it's an all-time great match. If you want to go five stars with it, I'm not going to fight you too much. I have one criticism of the entire match, and that is I wish they didn't go zero to 60 with at, after about five or six minutes. When they hit after the, that, the finishers, yeah, after, yeah. yeah, it just became big move after big move after big move. I like a little more setup, and I mm-hmm. wish it would have been a little bit more gradual. Gradual, but, there you go. But that's picking nits. Exactly. This is a tremendous match between two guys that could go, and part of the reason this worked, I'm going to do something that's going to just get me booed by so many people that are listening to this. I'm going to give the WWE creative team a lot, and I mean a lot of credit, because there was something they did with AJ that they refused to do with a lot of other very talented guys. They treated him like a big deal from the moment he stepped into the company. And isn't it incredible that that with he was the guy that he is the guy that you would think they would do the complete opposite with. Right. Like, ev- everything he's not a big guy. Yeah. Everything that we've been led to believe about Vince, not a big guy. Southern accent that he doesn't like. He was not my guy. We didn't create him. They're literally like those are three of the things that he hates. Like guy made yeah. a name for himself somewhere else. Guy's got this southern drawl and guy's not very big. Yet yep. the way they debuted him in the Rumble from the feuds, I do remember he lost. Did he lose it at Mania to Jericho? And then he everyone's did, like, yeah. uh oh, what's happening? But then immediately he was in a feud with Roman for the title and had these yep. great matches with Roman. And then he went on to Cena here. And even now, where he's in a tag and he'll lose the match here or there, but but when he does. People get mad because he's been protected and treated as well as like anybody that I could have ever thought coming in from a different company like this. It's really incredible. I was just thinking about that today. When you think about some of the guys that are leaving WWE and going over to AEW or don't feel like they they got really a, a chance. Man, AJ Styles has gotten treated from the very beginning like like an absolute star. Multiple runs with all of the big belts and. I'd imagine whenever he splits with almost, he'll go right back into the situation where he's right in the main event picture again. Yep. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to just throw this out there and this is going to make you cringe and recoil. And if Darren Zocali is out there, he's going to you know come through whatever listening device he's on and, and choke me. 
Goldberg is under contract to do several matches between now and 2023. Goldberg and Styles wouldn't suck. No. And, and it'd be fun, too. Like, you would be able to see... I could see Styles seeing that as a challenge. Goldberg, say, okay, let's get a match out of a guy who's in his 50s, who hasn't had a good match since he worked with Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania. Okay, let's go. Let's do this. I don't even hate the idea of bringing Goldberg back. I just hate the idea of bringing Goldberg back and always having him in the title picture. Exactly. If you That's use what... him as a special attraction, it's fine. I mean... It, it, in a the Ziggler way, match yeah. was fun. When, remember yeah. when he squashed Ziggler and Ziggler was pulling the. Yeah. He kept coming back and he kept. Like uh, Daffy is Duck in the Rabbit Season Duck exactly. Season cartoon. That's yeah. all you've got. And then he comes back and he hits his spear again and Ziggler sells like crazy. Like, that's a good use of him. You get the yep. pop, people hear his music, he comes out, he gets a few of his moves, boom. But you don't have to worry about, like, m- like building and. And ruining some like some of your better storylines for your your characters and your wrestlers that are there every day all year long just to, to shoehorn him into a title picture. It would be so much nicer if he was just in a match with any I, I, one night that I heard on another show, which would be great. Like Cedric Alexander this year, you know, he was doing a thing on Raw for a little while where he was kind of telling Jeff Hardy and stuff that he's, you know, screw the older guys. He would have been a perfect person for Goldberg to just squash on a SummerSlam show, come out for five minutes, let Cedric bump around. He can do exactly what Ziggler did a few years ago. You get Goldberg out there. Then after the show, more people know who Cedric is than before. And it it actually probably helps Cedric. It doesn't like bury a guy who didn't have a whole lot going on. You could use him They just Him versus Lashley In a three minute Four minute Match that Like that's kind of a waste of, of Of a Lashley Like Good big match You could put somebody else In there with him And they could have a fun Like 15 minute match Like Lashley Big E Which we'll probably get At some point Um Anything with Lashley Would be a lot more fun So Part of the reason That I brought this up Is because AJ did a really cool table for three with Shawn Michaels and Kevin Nash. And this was right after someone put the Photoshop together of a face-to-face between Shawn and AJ with the WrestleMania logo up on top of it. And that was seen as a dream match by a lot of people. And AJ brought that up. He said, dude, I know we would have an amazing match. We would have to work. Then he looked at Nash and he said, you know, we had a match in TNA where the story was me chopping the tree down. And we didn't have to work to tell that story. If anybody's going to work with Goldberg in a high capacity, I'd like it to be a guy like AJ who tries to keep things simple. Now, as far as this match goes, you can call it a code red. I called it a Canadian destroyer. Cena busting that out I popped for it live when I saw that match I popped for it every time I watch this match It is so freaking cool These guys went 25 minutes They could have gone 45 minutes And Mm -hmm. I would have still been entranced by the match That is how good this match was I just do wish it had been a little more gradual In the early stages Before we got to big move, kick out, shocked face, repeat Which worked because they were able to change things up and string the story along, excuse me But it's a great match If you somehow haven't seen this match You need to go seek it out 
And I'll reiterate, after this match, I paused it, went up, looked at where it was time code wise. And I said, oh boy, because, because you see a match like that. And even though, you know, a good Finn Balor, Seth Rollins match is coming down the pike. You can't help but wonder, there's nothing that's going to follow this at all. Whoever put Styles Cena on fourth, horrible. Nothing's going to follow that. No. Nothing. No. It, it was, it's almost like Taker, Sean, because it's like you have to have a better Same principle. Yeah. Right? You have to have a better foresight of just understanding that people are going to get really excited for this match on yep. this stage. Like, okay, maybe you don't think it's going to be a fight, but. They just had a good match. There was a good build to it. People were really hot for AJ. You you gotta understand. I think if you flip flop this and the Finn Seth match, maybe the crowd because the Finn Seth match was good, but I don't think it would have had as much of a everybody gets up and then down like they did after this match because this that match really felt like a peak. As uh, we then get John Stewart heading out to the ring, he says he's happy that. Uh, some inner idiot didn't interfere in that Cena Styles match for no reason with a chair, making a you know reference to himself last year. And he said that if you're in a situation where you might get hit with an an AA, tuck in your shirt because children are watching and nobody wants to see an old man belly. He then had a Bootio shirt on and he put on the uh, the unicorn headband and he introduced the New Day with the Big E line because remember Big E is uh, is not. Here coming out with the new day, Biggie just uh, had a uh, a groin injury that uh, that he's selling up. So and this is fine. This is like cute, something to, to get a John Stewart who is a fan and his kids a fan, and um, he was uh, he's able to get out on the show a few different times. And I I don't know, like Gallows and Anderson, totally serviceable tag team, but I just they don't really do anything special for me more than just. Serviceable tag team they're funny They've got some personality I think They've done a really good job of Like the way that they are used right now In like AEW And stuff is kind of being part of the elite And they can that's probably their Best use just a solid Tag team Um, You know Carl Anderson Actually had some incredible singles Matches and a really good run in the G1 In New Japan Um, And he can really go but you know nothing Like this isn't anything spectacular. It's fine. It goes 10 minutes. And it's pretty, you know, pretty basic tag stuff for the most part. You've got Xavier playing the trombone and celebrating early on the unicorn stampede, Kofi dropkick, um, heels working over Kofi, uh, Gallows misses a big splash, uh, Woods tags in. But the crowd isn't just, they're, they're dead. And I think that hurts this match. That hurts the following match. That hurts a lot. Some of these matches in the, Second half of the show that probably Didn't get that extra oomph from a Crowd picking them up Um, You know Xavier Kicks Anderson in the head he goes up top Flying elbow for two Uh, Xavier boot to the face I mean Xavier looks Good in this match it's not like there was Nothing bad about the ring work Um, Double foot stomp off the top From Kofi Um, We get Gallows Making the save and then uh, Gallows gets sent out by Kofi Anderson jump kick to knock Kofi down We get a magic killer on Kofi And then Stewart goes into the ring uh, Xavier jumps back in but Anderson Hits him with the spine buster looks very good He's, He always has a, a nice looking spine buster 
Um, Stewart tries to escape. The heels grab him. They tease the the same attack that they did to Big E with the ring post. They're gonna uh, they're gonna uh, hit John Stewart down low, and uh, they're gonna ram him right into the post. The the crowd's actually chanting yes for this, but then Big E makes the save. He runs down, he hits the clothesline, and the ref calls for a DQ because Big E interferes. So you know it's it's part of the angle, and it was continuing this feud moving forward. Not something that we're used to on a SummerSlam kind of show, right? This is WrestleMania, SummerSlams. They were usually the shows where the feuds ended, but like Charlotte and Sasha, this was. Still going and kind of right in the middle So there was plenty more here Big E comes back, he gets the big pop here And they celebrate after You know, I don't love the he, the Baby faces kind of having a heelish Way of winning or losing by a DQ But, you know, it's part of the angle And I Even if this match was a five star match The crowd wasn't going to go get into it anyways They they at least were going to get up For a Big E return and pop for that More than they were going to for anything in the match Yeah John Stewart comes out, and I actually liked his promo. This guy's a professional entertainer. He knows what he's doing, and I liked his promo. The problem is the crowd was totally dead. The crowd had no reason to care about John Stewart being back again. This match was fine. I liked Kofi's splash to the floor where he struck a pose in midair. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, as far as the match goes, it's not like it was anything special. In a vacuum, it's fine. I like the fact that the crowd popped for Big E. He got a gigantic pop when he came running down. That was pretty cool. He hits a couple of cool moves, and New Day winds up dancing with the celebrity, and that's great. It it checks a box, but it just never had a chance to be something overly memorable, given what came before it. And it's just really questionable to me how this show was laid out, because I don't know why you would put such a you know, a fairly big celebrity spot after that kind of a match in a dead spot when the crowd is just in no position to appreciate it. If anything, I think you put the six women tag match in this right particular this. spot. Mm-hmm. You put the tag match later and you get Big E getting that big pop. And then the crowd rides that energy into the universal title match. But, you know, I, I obviously my territory is not doing nearly as well as Vince's. So what do I know? <laughs> Yeah, um, after the match They're celebrating Big E goes over and he grabs the jar That had uh, his quote-unquote balls in it And he drinks He drinks the juice out of out of it We're not gonna act like he didn't just drink Formaldehyde <laughs> that, was, that was pretty funny, that was a good line here um, It is more about the angle Than anything As uh, we got a commercial for Holy Foley Debuting on the WWE Network And then a commercial for Backlash which is next, and then uh, Clash of Champions. Um, so we, we get the build up for Ambrose versus Ziggler for the WWE title. Again, another really good video package, I thought, um, to set them up, make Ziggler feel like a really big deal. Crowd uh, was hot for Ziggler. They they got into uh, him, him coming out. Um, big response for Ambrose. And we got Shane and, and uh, Daniel Bryan outside, the SmackDown GM and Commission, just to make sure everything goes uh, smoothly. Um, Morrow mentions McGregor And then JBL says Yeah the difference is that these guys are adult size it's like Okay you know, Pause like, Which is I'm, funny I'm because here. you could have said that About right like Brock and Randy you know But like in this particular match These guys aren't necessarily like well, World huge 
that and this is just another example of JBL talking out of his rear end. And it's one of those situations where you're just you're really hoping Conor McGregor is watching this and eviscerating JBL on Twitter. Of course, Conor McGregor way too busy counting his money from the Pegasus World Cup commercial he did a couple of years ago where he wound up being a jockey. But yeah, that just that's one of those lines from JBL that just like, why even go there? You know, would Bobby Heenan ever have done that? No. Would, would any other major heel commentator have done that? Even Jesse Ventura wouldn't have stooped like that. Just it, it just seemed so phony. And for as much as I like JBL's mic work as a character, as a commentator, he just never did anything for me. Now, maybe very early on. And then, and then, and then he just kind of became like a parody of like a caricature of himself. Exactly. Um, um so we uh, we get the world heavyweight championship match: Dean Ambrose versus Dolph Ziggler. Um, kind of smacks back and forth early on. Um, Ziggler follows Ambrose outside. We get a splash against the barricade, neck breaker. Um, we get a oh, they get back in the ring, butterfly suplex off the top for two, uh, single leg crab by Ambrose. Um, Ziggler counters uh, uh, Ambrose's jump off the top with a drop kick midair. Pretty cool spot. Then Ambrose picks him up, slams him face first into the mat for two, and it's just not clicking with the crowd. Um, these guys are working hard; they're doing everything they can. Ambrose, you know, sets up a super kick, but he does a kick low, um, goes for dirty deeds, but Ziggler counters it. Big DDT. Um, Ambrose counters a famouser, but then Ziggler uh, head, uh, sends him into the ring post. Um, then Ziggler does hit a famouser for two, double cross body. Spot where they both run into each other um, You know Just not really able to ignite This crowd at all um, Dean's back in control Forearm, clothesline, forearm Bulldog, uh, elbow off the top rope For two, then he's Kind of making fun of uh, Ziggler's little hip hip strut um, And uh, He, we get a, a sleeper From Ziggler, but Dean Cambro uh, Cambros, Dean counters Ambrose counters is where I was going and I called him Cambros, <laughs> the counter by Ambrose rolling to the floor um, Ziggler super kick And uh, then he Brings Ambrose back in the ring And he gets a two count Dean goes for dirty deeds But Dolph hits the zigzag for two Even this, like the crowd's not even that Into these, these near falls um, big clothesline by Ambrose. Um, he goes up top. Ziggler goes after him. Um, he goes for what looks like a top rope face buster, kind of X Factor, X Pox move. But Dean lands on his feet and then he hits a quick dirty deeds uh, for the uh, the pin. This thing went 15, and both guys worked hard. It's not a bad match by any means. Placement on the show and it it Just felt like miss something was missing I just didn't connect and and I don't know if that is if I had The show on mute in watching This as a match I'd still have wanted a little bit More from it as a as a Title like a heavyweight title match I had it under three two And a half to three range um, Nothing special but nothing Like horrible I just I wanted more from these guys So First of all this was during a period where I really liked Dolph Ziggler's work. A couple months after this, he would have that title versus career match with The Miz at No Mercy. That was a tremendous angle that should have rejuvenated Dolph Ziggler as a character and carried him for the next couple of years. Unfortunately, that didn't necessarily wind up happening, but he would wind up turning face shortly after this. 
And that wound up at least giving him a really good match that you should go out of your way to see. I believe that was at No Mercy of that year. So go search that on Peacock. I don't know what season of No Mercy that is on Peacock. Needed to throw that out there because that still makes no sense. But as far as this match goes, it just never seemed like these two got out of second gear. And that's unfortunate because this is SummerSlam. It's supposed to be a match for a major title at the third biggest show of the year. And this did nothing for me. It didn't feel like a title match. It felt like a mid-card match on a B-show. And it's not like these two guys didn't try. It's just, this match is just here. It's not all that great. And it's not long after a match that truly was great. There were a couple examples of this with Dean Ambrose as a singles competitor after the Shield split up, where he would have these outstanding promos. And he came across like a legitimate main event guy right up until the bell rang. And then for whatever reason, it just didn't click. The video. I've always been that way with this. him too, though. Even now, like I get when he came into AEW, he was big and he had a good buzz and he, he did feel like someone who deserved to be him and Omega had a, had a fun kind of back and forth. And um, he just, he's not, he doesn't connect with me all that much. Well, I don't, I don't, you know, the thing with him in AEW is I just wish he'd cut down on the deathmatch nonsense and just, yeah. you know, be the John Moxley that he was when he came in, as opposed to all this stuff with exploding barbed wire and just doing random stuff that he shouldn't feel the need to do. Agreed. That to me doesn't do anything for me. But as far as his WWE stuff goes, he didn't really click with Ziggler. He didn't click with Lesnar. And a lot of that's on Brock because Ambrose came in with a bunch of ideas and Lesnar basically said, nah, I'm good. Um, but it was a case where there were certain situations where they wound up putting a square peg in a round hole. And Ambrose was so darn good that he made a lot of stuff work that had no right to. But at the same time, you're getting a guy who was a tremendous promo. That package before the match with Ambrose and Ziggler, that was some of Ziggler's best mic work ever right there. And Ambrose Absolutely was no agree. slouch. That the was really video cool. package felt main event. It did. For a match and, that didn't didn't deliver. Yep. And that was the problem that I had with a lot of Ambrose's stuff. He had a great run with AJ. They had a couple of really good matches together. But there were some instances where he'd get in a high-profile match, you'd be really excited, and then the bell rang, and you're just going, what am I watching? What's going on? Like, he had a match with Jericho, where Jericho wound up taking, I believe, forgive me if I have the number on this wrong, 60-some-odd tacks in his back that he had to have pulled because they did a spot with thumbtacks, and he laid it out in one of his books. I, I don't know, but it, it, that match was no good, and the promos were absolutely tremendous. This match was not great, and the promos were tremendous. And then he gets hurt. He comes back. And he has to cut these horrible promos where he's talking about Roman Reigns' leukemia and trying to be a heel. And it comes across so forced. And my goodness, it's no wonder he left the company after that. Thankfully, he's wound up doing a lot of really good stuff elsewhere where he seems like a more natural fit. Credit to him as a worker for being able to do that sort of stuff. This match just fell flat for me. I had it at two stars. I didn't like yeah. it a lot at all whatsoever. Would, mm -hmm. It just, it, it seems like everything after 
the Cena AJ match up until Balor Rollins is just suffered. this black hole that does nothing for me. Just suffered, yeah, uh, by placement and just the lack of uh, energy from the crowd here. So we get a commercial for. Oh wait, wait, wait! Here we go. Here we go. Wait, wait, wait. So where are we next? Hold on. Okay, we got the uh, the women are coming up next first, and. I kind of feel similar about this one, Andrew. Too is like you were we were talking. It's just the, the it's not awful, right? There's nothing. Oh, I awful. thought it was bad. The women, you, the women, yeah. wor- the work. See, because I don't yeah. think the work is bad. I think the response from the crowd is bad. But like, this isn't like early two thousands when you get ten divas in a ring or what we saw at WrestleMania thirty, the fourteen divas with AJ. Like, you got Becky. Doing some good work you got the women Natty who can work and get their spots in It's just nobody cares about this This was a, this was a total Pre-show match There, This should have not been here Or this is right after Cena Styles as the cool down match And it doesn't need to go 11 I didn't have any problem with the work Or the females in there I thought they all did fine It just why is anybody going to get excited about this after you just had an awesome Cena Styles match? You had a World Heavyweight a WWE World Championship match, and you know you got another Universal Championship match and a main event after that coming up. Like, wh- why would you get pumped for this match? That's the problem. Well, here's the thing, and credit to WWE for at least getting one really good pop out of this. So, fellow Concord, California person, Eva Marie. Was supposed to be part of the heel team in this particular match. So, real quick, they did do a video package before this of WWE activities in New yeah, York yeah. The last week. And then that was when, uh, go ahead and, and you can talk about what happened with Eva. Sure. So, Eva Marie had just gotten popped for a wellness policy violation. Apparently, she tested positive for, I believe it was Adderall and didn't disclose it in time. Uh, but WWE called a heck of an audible here because they brought Nikki Bella back for her first match since January. And this was at the time where Total Bellas was, for some ungodly reason that I can never explain, a very highly watched program in the world of reality television. And Nikki Bella was over. When you can look but you can't touch comes on the PA system, there is a very high-pitched pop of young girls who go insane for Nikki Bella and are happy to see her back. Good on them. You're getting some energy into a match that really didn't have any. Well, here's my problem with this match. Earlier in this particular year, they did a series of NXT call-ups. Alexa was one. Carmella was another. Neither was ready. Alexa wasn't far off, and she learned really, really fast. I give her a lot of credit. Alexa Bliss came up and wound up being one of the more recognizable women's wrestlers very, very quickly. And a lot of that is because she wound up being a pretty decent worker. Carmella needed another year in developmental. Because now if you look at her, she's fine as a worker. She's not great, but she's fine. Yeah, she's improved a lot, for sure. They called her up very, very very early and, and she was can... fine as the part if she was going to be up on the main roster for a while to be part of Enzo and Kaz's uh, package and then 
learn and maybe she could work some house shows and stuff like that, but she wasn't ready to be off on her own yet. No, and the problem was the women's roster was so thin at that point because Nikki Bella was out. There were rumblings that she was never going to work again because she had some pretty serious neck issues. You had a situation where Ronda hadn't come in yet. Yeah, Charlotte and Sasha were doing great things. Even Bailey hadn't come up yet full-time. She was still in NXT. Becky wasn't the man yet. Ronda wasn't coming in for a while. Maybe I mentioned that already. I don't know. But there was no depth. And they needed people to come in and fill the gaps. And they settled on Carmella, and she was not ready. You watch 2016-2017 Carmella, it's not pretty. There's a lot of growing there that she still has left to do. And she does not have a good evening in this particular match. Becky would wind up winning the SmackDown women's title in the next month. But you look at this roster, it was really thin over there. And she wasn't the Becky Lynch that would headline WrestleMania a couple of years down the line yet. She does get a fun spot with those three straight kicks to the other team in the corner. I thought that was pretty cool. And I thought that was the highlight. But you look at this match. You see 11 minutes on the sheet it and you're going six or seven and it yeah. shouldn't even have been. This is a pre-show match. Exactly. It's just, yeah. You want to get the ladies on the, on the show. I completely agree with it, but there's nothing to this. There's no story. There's no build in a show that's already going a little bit long. You just don't need like, yep. it's just, it's just too I mean, much. Nice surprise with Nikki and she yeah, winds great, up getting good, the good pop and, and that's fine. And the, the, at the, the same time, 11 the minutes. Spot. No, no, no. Where they announced Eva You're right that's a cool tease They announced Eva Eva Marie and then says uh, Never mind Eva Marie is away on the British Isles Due to stress And so uh, Nikki ends up coming out So she's the partner for Natty And Bliss she gets the big pop Everybody just takes turns with some of their spots But again like this isn't great But this is still worlds better than Something that would have been the exact same thing 10 years earlier um, you, you know you get Becky, Bexploder uh, Springboard kicks, forearm Smash to Natty um, Naomi tags in, she hits the cross body Nikki tags in um, Everybody gets in the ring to brawl and Then Nikki hits uh, the forearm Smash and the TKO slam She picks up the win after 11 Just a little too much but cool pop For Nikki and she Improved a hell of a lot in the ring um, In her years. No uh, kidding she really? wound up being a legitimately good worker, and a lot of that goes unnoticed because un- it's unfair, but she doesn't look like someone who can work. Mm-hmm. And and she didn't initially work very well at the beginning. And she wasn't hired to work very no, well either. No, that wasn't but her she, job. But she, she picked things up really well. Very Trish Stratasy, right? Yeah, and I like the fact that she had a very good match with Ronda Rousey at Evolution when... She didn't have to at that time She really was a part-timer But they brought her back to do that match with Ronda And that's an easy three-star match Maybe a little bit higher than that She didn't have to be a good worker She wound up being one And I've got a world of respect for her for that We get a clip uh, First we see a Commercial for Clash of Champions Then a look at Wale sitting ringside With Fabulous And then a little clip of Roman Reigns feud with Rusev where it leads to an interview Maria Menounos with Rusev and Lana, and Rusev is just being funny when he not doesn't mean to, you know. What are you, you television reporter? What are you, you know? He just like the way he says things is are, are funny. Well, uh, Rusev's accent is one thing. 
they decided that Lana was going to have an accent that week. And, and she I'm goes not going sure she in was and out. overly committed to the bit. Yeah. No, she was in and out of that thing for all throughout the night. Um, she, uh, they just talk about how Rusev's going to crush Roman. Um, nothing special here, uh, but it does get to a video package to set up Balor versus Rollins. And so we, you know, we look at this match and it's like, wow, Finn, the way that they presented Finn, like such a big deal. Um, and even everything about this, this was the first Universal Championship match ever. And keep in mind, Finn got a clean win over Roman in order to get into this spot. And that a few weeks before when they had the draft and they were setting up, you know, needing a new champ on this brand. So they put the rocket on this guy right off the bat. And everybody's at ringside. We got Commissioner Steph, uh, Raw Commissioner Stephanie McMahon and GM McFoley, and they've got the new Universal Title belt out there. Oh! Doesn't look right. Yeah, yeah. Eh, it's a eh. now. To be fair, to be fair, I will say this, and we'll talk about this. They did learn, and I believe they altered the belt design significantly to where the colors got muted, even when they moved the belt. From Raw to SmackDown, they didn't make it a bright blue color. They muted the blue and they turned gold into silver so that that way it wouldn't be quite as obnoxious. Now, we'll talk about the crowd reaction to this belt and how maybe it might have been a little bit overblown. Having said that, that belt that they initially introduced was an atrocity. The crowd did not like this belt. <laughs> they were not into the belt. Um, but the crowd does get into this match. They definitely yeah. do. And this match was a good, good match. A really good video package to set things up before. And we uh, we get set. The awesome Finn Balor demon entrance. Um, just felt like a big match. Good presentation. Balor hot. All Finn early um, Running drop kick And then Rollins on the floor uh, Somersault dive We get uh, another drop kick back in the ring So they're outside And early on in the match This thing is only about Five or six into it And Rollins gives uh, Finn the power bomb into the barricade And that's where he gets hurt And Finn goes like At least ten Probably 10 to 15 minutes More like 12 minutes or so Completely injured You can't and tell You, you can't. You wouldn't know For the spot Otherwise yeah. you'd miss it But you the would... fact that Finn Balor did that And it didn't affect the match In the slightest Hats off to you buddy That's freaking awesome Really impressive And I think for about a minute or two Rollins might have known Because he sort of it wasn't long, but he just kind of slowed things down for a minute to maybe let Finn kind of catch his breath or, you know, just kind of cope with, okay, we're going to get ready. We're going to finish this thing. So Finn, he, there's a moment, I think right before that, actually, that I, I missed, which I thought was cool, where they're outside the ring and Seth throws Finn into the time caper area. And then Finn kind of pops up. From behind the wall like a horror movie Great camera shot Really creepy it looked great because you just see his head It's like when I'm playing with Milo And I do peekaboo and I go down below Something and I pop my head up peekaboo. It was it was a really good spot There um, yeah, Creepy Finn So 
the the what what is the uh, the crowd chanting the that red belt sucks at that this point belt sucks I think that <laughs> belt sucks yeah so they tune up of course of new day rocks new day rocks yeah now really quick and we should say this this wound up setting off a Seth Rollins hissy fit on Twitter now was Seth Rollins in the wrong to feel the way that he felt. Maybe not, because from his perspective, he and Finn Balor worked their butts off to have a really good match, and he was ticked off at the crowd for being mad at the belt. However, Gino, when it comes to social media, do you know what the best piece of advice is to anybody that wants to look like they're credible and want to be taken seriously? Mm. It's simple. Stay quiet. <laughs> don't hit send. Right. Shut up. <laughs> th- th- that's the tweet you don't send. Because to me, that tweet, and it's still up there. You can take a look if you search all the way back to 2016. There were articles that were written about what Seth Rollins said. If you take a look at that, it just comes across like the most butt kissy tweet you could ask for from somebody in WWE trying to say, oh, yeah, this belt is so great. How could you hate it? Da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Look, I understand you're angry. I understand you feel like the crowd might have hijacked the match a little bit because they did. Can you honestly tell me that belt is not an atrocity? Can't both things be right here? It's not a good look for Seth. And I agree. You can tell in the early part of the match, they're going back to their training where if the crowd is going rogue, for something you deliberately go slow you wait for them to get it out of their system and then you kick it into gear once you've got the crowd where you want them it's crowd management every wrestling school teaches that but it's a case where it just seemed like such sour grapes on his part and he is such a great and that's that's been his his one of his biggest problems is that um and and why I always kind of thought that they would turn him into a babyface is because he toes the company line so much. He's to out there fault. too much, right? He's out there too much defending things to where it comes off like whiny or bitter. You know, so like you said, sometimes you're better off just not saying anything at all because yeah. y- you're trying to defend people or your company or this or that. And we get it. You want to be that company guy, locker room leader, but it just it rubs some of your fans the wrong way. You know what it comes off as? It comes off as, and we all knew somebody like this, and if you didn't know someone like this, you were this person. The kid in class in high school that nobody wanted the teacher to call on. Mm-hmm. That's precisely what it seems like. Now, yeah. going back to this match, it's a really good match. I wouldn't say it's a great match because they did take it slow early, but... I've gotten it at a solid three and a half, and there were some really cool sequences. The end sequence in particular, those last three minutes, starting with Rollins with the superplex going into a pedigree attempt, my God, that was such a good sequence. These are two guys that are world-class workers, and even with one of them operating with a busted shoulder for 75% of the match, you got a really, really good effort out of this, and it was so good that it left the crowd in a strange position because they were cheering the guy that won the belt, but they were booing the belt and the name of the belt. (laughs) Really strange stuff, and it's fascinating to watch, especially once you realize that the reason Balor isn't holding the belt over his head with one of his arms 
is because he can't lift his arm. Yeah. And Rollins is talking trash to him. Boy, calling him boy. Balor's like five years older than him. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Rollins hits a frog splash for two DDT by Finn um, Balor with a forearm and some chops um, We get a drop kick that sends Rollins to the floor He was really good on the drop kicks into the corner uh, Finn yeah. is excellent in this match He hits a sling blade Then Rollins come back He hits a drop kick Then an Enziguri um, Pele kick Both guys are down um, Rollins gets the triangle choke in But then Finn gets to the ropes And Seth screams No rope break pal which was great because this match had to be a winner because it was uh, for a title. So Rollins with the buckle bump. Can you believe he did that after the spot? Before he did it again. Finn's such a stud that he takes that. Then Rollins hits the small package driver, which is great for two. Um, crowd really starting to get into it now. Uh, Finn with the kick. Uh, to Rollins, so Rollins is outside the ring Then a drop kick to the barricade Double foot stomp to the back of Seth's neck Then Seth avoids the coup de gras. He hits the pedigree for two um, Finn kicks out Then he uh, moves out of the way of, uh, of Seth from the top rope He hits another drop kick into the turnbuckle Then they both are up top And Seth is going for the superplex But Balor Avoids the pedigree He hits another drop kick And then another one Boom into the corner He goes up to the top rope And the coup de gras um, That connects for the one, two, three Finn gets the win um, Not quite 20 minutes I think like 19 and a half or so This is the first ever universal title match I liked it a little better than you I had it And I think I probably just graded it Higher on a curve Knowing that Finn went more than half of this match sure, with, with that injury So I went four um, And you know cool moment cool spot Crowd got back into it so I wouldn't Go higher than four but yeah You know I, I think it's definitely a, a Three and a half plus uh, match Here and these guys can do a little Bit more too but Good spot good first match For the universal title and just a Bummer what this did for Finn because Really Finn until right now, this moment when we're recording, he didn't feel like a big deal on the main roster. Right now, he actually has come back and he feels a little fresh because he's been gone for a while. So he does feel like someone who could have a fun uh, feud with Roman Reigns moving forward. But right here, watching this match, how many times they would say things like, Man, Finn Balor is going to, you know, or these two are going to be, you know, the faces of Raw moving forward, or these two in main event matches. And it's unfortunate because Finn hasn't I don't want to say lived up to the billing Because he's had some injuries But you just figured Good looking guy can go in the ring Can work as a baby face or heel He can talk well enough to connect um, And hopefully He gets another really nice run now Of a couple of years on the main roster Because he's very deserving of it And I love when Finn's on my TV So the other thing with Finn And this is unfortunate Is there's a chance he may not be around a whole heck of a lot longer. He's, he's older, 40. too. He just he's turned 40 a couple yeah. of weeks ago. And when you're talking about a guy that I don't want to say is a super high-flying type, but a guy whose act in large part is those drop kicks and that top rope stomp and some of the things that he does, it's a little different doing that when you're 40 than when you're 30. Um, now, one thing I will say is... If you haven't seen the match that Balor had, I believe it was with Pete Dunne at an NXT TakeOver a couple of months back. It was the one that ended with the Undisputed Era finally coming apart when Cole attacked O'Reilly. 
that's a brilliant match. That's a legit five-star match with some of the best mat work you are ever going to see in any particular kind of match. There were people who said it was probably the best British strong style match you're ever going to see. And I, I can't fault that. That's a five-star match. Now, as far as being on the main roster, yeah, he feels fresh, but they got some work to do because when they brought him up in 2016, it was with the understanding he was going to be a big deal. He got treated like a big deal and then he got hurt. And when he got hurt, I don't know if that's the worst timed injury in the recent history of WWE or just up there in the conversation. It was bad. And it's a shame because this is a guy that could have a great match with pretty much anybody. I'm stunned we haven't seen the demon character more in the past couple of years. I am shocked, and I mean legitimately shocked, that we never saw the demon versus the fiend when it was right freaking there gee who was the first guy that the fiend beat at uh SummerSlam a couple of years ago oh yeah it was that Balor dude the guy that paints his face every once in a while and comes in looking like a demonic freakish character he demonic had a run in the character versus demonic freakish character gee it's right freaking there he had a run in the Rumble the year that Nakamura won, right? Twenty eighteen, great. They Rumble. had that. They had that setup at the end where it was sort of like the, the old yep. school and the new school. We and, looked at it. It's an all time great Rumble. Yeah, and um, hopefully Finn will get a nice, uh, a nice another run right now because he does. He adds a, a fresh face on it's SmackDown a shame because there's just there's not a lot of time left for him. Maybe no. and I hope he gets the run he deserves. He does. He does. He deserves a good big mania match, like a real nice one um, next year somewhere. We'll uh, we'll see you what's on, on the tap for Finn. We then get the kickoff panel talking about things that happened throughout the show, and then the Ziggler Miz KFC commercial, which is hilarious. I mean, why did this need to be on the show? It didn't need to be on the show. It was just too long. It, it's way too long. It is hilarious and really well done. And when you're going to do some sort of a promotional thing, that's great because it's nothing to do with the match or anything. That's that's something that's really fun. You could have played on a SmackDown and Raw a couple times. It's just unnecessary. Miz in a yep. chicken suit, Colonel Ziggler. Just give it to me on SmackDown, Raw, or on the network. Doesn't yep. need to be on the pay-per-view. Precisely. If you're going to do a brand tie-in thing where WWE probably got a nice chunk of change to do it. You do it like this. You do not have zombie lumberjacks in a promoting map. army of the dead. Exactly. Say with me, Gino, minus five stars. <laughs> yeah, this this is the perfect promotional thing. This was actually it's, funny. It's darn good. It's darn It's good. funny. It is. It just it doesn't need to be here well, on a show that's already been Well, this was also around the time that they did Southpaw Championship Wrestling on the mm-hmm. network, and that was also a KFC tie-in kind of thing. This yeah. entire campaign was exceptionally done. Really well done. As we then got Lana coming out to introduce the U.S. champ Rusev, and this was during the time where they were really trying to get Roman over, and Roman and was And what was not- the response? Ahem. And then they muted the crowd. You could tell they muted the crowd. So much that, you know, you put him in a feud where you can't, he's, he's against an anti-American act. It's like the easiest heat in the world. You put Roman, that's what they kept doing with Roman, stacking them against these people who they felt like, okay, there's no way they're going to get cheered. So at the very least, Roman's not going to get booed. And it, it didn't work to get him over, but it, 
it actually would do the opposite Like the thing about Roman Is what you want from every Superstar on your roster He elicits a reaction Reaction isn't bad It's no reaction that's bad It's when someone elicits a reaction You just gotta find the right way to use them And oh hey Look we are now uh, Five years later And the most overact On the WWE roster And probably in all of wrestling That the most people are consistently Saying is the best week in week out Is heel Roman Reigns I mean who would have thunk it We Everyone Literally everyone on the ground Everyone everyone in the airplane Sorry, every person ever knew it. We knew it. We just watched. Hot take, by the way. Hot take, by the way. Deadpool was better than Deadpool two, but the twenty minutes wherein Deadpool recruits the X Force and they all die in spectacular fashion is some of the greatest stuff I have ever seen, and that's where I pulled that line from. Deadpool. You can check out both of those on Hulu. I'm pretty sure they're or Disney Plus. I think maybe. Yeah, great, great movies. Um. They want to do everything they can to get Roman on this show And it just is, this is an angle They come out, the, the bell doesn't even ring Rusev hits him with the steel steps Then Roman tosses him into the barricade um, Roman with the Superman punch The refs come out to break it up Then uh, a, Roman blocks a chair shot um, He tosses Rusev in the ring And jabs Rusev in the ribs with a chair And he hits him in the back Officials keep trying to break it up But Roman won't stop He ends up walking away um, As Rusev is on the floor outside and then they announced uh, that Rusev will not compete Then Roman walks back Get the big spear on Rusev uh, Crowd was I mean cheering more than they were booing at this point um, It's it, no match here They just had a match on Raw And it was a way to keep this feud going um, You know This is a way to at least make sure Roman's not going to get booed But again This I know you want you. You've got big plans for Roman. You think he's going to be one of your guys, and he and he is right. He is your guy now. Like it, and you want to get him on this show. But it's like, does this do anything for Roman? Really? I don't know. I mean, I don't know what this did for him or how many people on this show. It's oh, look at Roman. Look at how tough he looks beating Rusev again. I just this was probably ten minutes that could have been cut out and would have made the show feel a little tighter. Yeah. Um. I understand. Me you too. I totally get it. Roman. I understand you also want to protect Rusev, who had steam as a legitimate, you know, upper mid card, maybe borderline main event heel at this point. And also knowing Vince, he wanted to protect Lana and trot her out there because reasons. But my goodness, it, it, the more I look at this and the more I look at the next match that we'll talk about, I keep coming back to the same question. And that is, who does this help? I don't think this helped either guy. I think it was a gigantic, gigantic waste of time. And it's unfortunate because I was at the Raw two weeks prior where Lana gets shoved into the wedding cake in Anaheim. That was during the stretch where WWE somehow came to Southern California like five or six times in an eight-month span. And I wound up going to every show. It was a lousy Raw, but I remember Lana going into the wedding cake. You remember those kinds of things because it's an old wrestling rule. Whenever there is cake in the ring, someone's going to wind up wearing it. So it's a shame because that had the potential to be a really hot storyline and a really hot angle. And you go into a SummerSlam and you're thinking, oh, they'll blow this off here. It'll be fun. For as much as we hate Roman, he's a very good worker. Rusev can go. 
this will be fun. And it just wasn't fun. No, it wasn't fun. It didn't you hit it. help anybody. You hit it. That's it. It's, it didn't yeah. do anything for either guy. They were hoping that it was going to just help. Pe- but the crowds are, they're not stupid. They know what you're doing here. They know that, okay, cool. Yeah, we'll not boo Roman out of the building here because we don't like Rusev, but whoever you put Roman against next, we're not going to be in love with him. And that's that's exactly what ended up happening. It was just, you know, they kept trying to put, they would Sheamus and other people, and it just, as soon as they let this guy just be himself and have a little bit of edge, not Adam Copeland, edge, but uh, he, he was so much better. And we could all see it And they just wasted unfortunately a couple years And and they're lucky Vince and WWE is lucky Because there are a lot of people That they've wasted That didn't get the either the opportunity Or the chances that Roman did Or maybe even weren't quite as good As Roman overall talented wise To where he would finally be able To kind of break through And then you know get his voice heard Because there are a lot of people that we see you know, Bray Wyatt just left, or uh, people that we feel like got misused. Roman Reigns could have very easily been one of those guys if he doesn't have this recent reign to where we now all feel like, oh wow, think about the high level work he's been doing over the last year now. Um, and it just feels like such a nice compliment, icing on the cake for a career that we were probably looking at going, ah, you know, that's not what they wanted. Now, if when inevitably he turns babyface a few years down the line, this guy is always just going to be over now. He just, he's, yeah. he's, this is exactly what you needed to do with him. Gee, what's going to result in way more overness and way better things for your product? Letting a team of 31 writers come up with things like suffer and succotash, or letting a guy with natural charisma who looks like a Samoan god be himself. Gee, which one am I going to pick if I want long-term success? One yeah. pill makes you larger. One pill makes you small. We then get the uh, commercial for Tota Bellas. We get a commercial for Holy Foley. And then a video package for the main event. Now, this was pretty darn good. This video package was Incredible oh my god It was so good they're going through the history Of these two guys who who came up Together in OVW and uh, Randy's Kind of talking about how yeah you know Brock and I um, you know we were in the, the group with Cena and with Batista and Shelton Benjamin and Brock came in and he's this Athletic specimen and he kind of jumps The line and he goes straight to the, the main Roster and then I'm on the main roster too and We're kind of Hitting all these big accomplishments together And we were kind of buddies because we came up Together and he was still young He said and then Brock just started Hating people <laughs> he said and that's when He changed and Then you 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 know Randy talks about How you know I feel like he turned his Back on me and us and this and that And then you go to Brock And then this was like a good baby face Randy Orton you know is, is Really good baby face stuff then you Go to Brock and he says yeah, I know who Randy Orton is, but I don't have a relationship with Randy Orton, nor do I give a bleep about him. <laughs> I mean, it was this is the best Brock. Who? Randy Orton? I mean, I know the guy, but I mean, buddies? Huh? It was Paul Heyman's like, oh yeah, everyone wants to make something out of this because you guys came up together. Uh, Brock says, I'm a superstar. He's just a star. I, I, ch- this I watched this like three or four times because I kept laughing when he said Randy Orton. I don't know. Huh? 
nor do I give a bleep about him. Yeah, Lesnar's being given a bunch of liberties that a lot of people wouldn't necessarily get. And we would see more of that later on in the show. Now, the other line in this promo that I think is so good is a Heyman line where he compares Orton to the best surfer on the beach and compares Lesnar to a shark. Now, they try calling this match the biggest SummerSlam match ever. It's not, but it feels like a main event because interspersed with all of this is stuff where, like, Heyman and Lesnar talk about, oh, he can never be RKO'd ever, 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 ever. All Orton has to do is come in from the crowd, jump the barricade, get in the ring, hit an RKO out of nowhere, and go back. How simple is that? There's your build. It's great. There's everything there, and wrestling is at its best when it is simple. Unfortunately, things would take a far different turn once the bell rang. So we get a big pop for Randy Orton. And uh, JBL, Ronaldo, Corey Graves, and Saxton No Cole in this match And Lesnar versus Randy Orton All Lesnar early And then Orton dropkick He goes for an RKO but Brock shoves him away uh, German suplex then another one Third one from Lesnar uh, Randy's trying to block it but uh, to block it, but Brock hits a fourth German Then he hits five and six um, Randy goes outside the ring he tries to get away from Brock, but Lesnar then sends him over the barricade. And then this toss I thought was cool. He kind of just throws him into the SmackDown table, like bloop, just a little toss, and the table breaks. Then they're back in the ring. Uh, German suplex, which is number seven. Lesnar then clears off the table, uh, the announce table. And as he's doing so, Randy pops up and hits the RKO out of nowhere. That was a really cool spot on the Raw announce table, but it doesn't doesn't break. Randy never has great luck with these tables. Um, the Lesnar's kind of wobbly, kind of stumbling back to the ring. So Orton hits his DDT draping across the ropes. Then he hits another RKO just for two. It looks like he's got the uh, the advantage here. Um, Brock is you know wobbling, woozing, and Heyman screaming. Randy sets up for the punt and then Brock catches him with an F5, one, two, and a oh near fall. That looked like it was it. That was another really good spot. Um, and then we got the you know, I actually thought a lot of that was good. This is this is 10 minutes too. This isn't like a three-minute Brock match so far. We've got about 10 minutes worth of work, and they've been they, you know, what you would expect. A lot of Brock offense, but Randy credible enough for some spots here and there to make you believe a little bit. And then takes off his gloves And he starts pounding on Randy's head With fists He hits him in the back with elbows to the head And Orton starts bleeding um, Rumors about whether he cut himself Or whether he bladed Or whether it was hard way um, The doctors go in to check on him There's blood all over Like It really starts gushing pretty quickly Pooling up And then Lesnar keeps going on Orton Punches to the back um, The ref keep trying to, to stop it um, then we get a Goldberg chant And then the ref, uh, Mike Chioda Tells Jojo that the match is over Brock's announced as the winner by TKO At 13 minutes Now, I I don't I think I don't think the work in the match was bad Especially the no. first 10 minutes before, before the stoppage thing And I don't even mind doing Having a finish that's different That you don't do all the time I just get very uncomfortable With the head stuff And the shots to the head And the bleeding from the head and all that it's just 
It doesn't hold up well on rewatches to me And we this this isn't like 30 years ago Like we're five years ago here We know what we know about head injuries and stuff I don't like I just I don't like it when they do that storyline They did it with Dolph They did it with Enzo I, I'm never a fan Even with Daniel Bryan when he came back And, and they're I, I hate when they do that I just I, I'm not a fan of that Um and and then you know post match, it was different. This was definitely a spectacle, and you're right, it felt big. But I I get squeamish watching stuff like this back. So you're not the only person that got squeamish watching this. You knew this story was going to come up. One Chris Jericho was watching this match backstage. The story goes that he walked up to Michael Hayes and said, "Is this supposed to happen?" Is this something that was scripted? What's going on? Because, you know, he's obviously concerned about what happened here. And look, if you haven't seen this match, Randy Orton bleeds as grotesquely as just about any WWE competitor has bled in a major match in the last 10 or 15 years. Since the end of the Attitude Era. Can we say that much, Gino? This was, and the thing is about it, it was instant. Like, yeah. It wasn't like, oh, you saw him get busted And then there's a little blood And then a couple minutes later There's blood all over like Ric Flair It'll kind of This went from, oh, is he bleeding to Oh my gosh, there's a pool of blood on the mat Yeah, quickly So, yeah So Jericho was incensed Because Hayes wasn't giving him a straight answer For whatever reason I don't know whether they were doing this to work the boys or what But he couldn't get an answer And Jericho was getting pissed Because look We know what we know about head injuries and wrestling's link to CTE. We're not even going to go into the Voldemort thing, but you understand why there's concern. Jericho's pissed off. Lesnar comes backstage and Jericho goes straight up to Brock Lesnar. When I get reincarnated, I want to have the spine of Chris Jericho to get into backstage scuffles with guys like Brock Lesnar and Goldberg when they are at the peaks of their physical powers, okay? This guy has guts. Now, they wind up needing to be separated, and they start talking about how if, you know, if it was a work, they should have been told. It was a big mess. And if you've never seen this match and you're curious about what we're talking about, watch the match, but you only need to see it once. The ring work was fine. From a ring work perspective, it's probably two and a half, two and three quarters there, thereabouts. But just watching this match back is incredibly uncomfortable. And it goes to a point that I made earlier. Who does this help? We already know Brock Lesnar is a killing machine. We know that. We also know that this killing machine is not going to show up every week on television. You only have X amount of times you can use him for his contract. How does this help Randy Orton? It's not like it's a case like it's Austin at WrestleMania 13 where he's in the sharpshooter bleeding pretty bad and winds up passing out rather than tapping out and thus gets made into a huge superstar. This is a case where Randy Orton gets the crap kicked out of him, winds up bleeding gushers out of his head. There's pools of blood in the ring. This didn't help anybody, and ultimately, it just made this seem, rather than like a legitimate main event, which it should have been, like a big waste of time. I agree. Just I forgot that the the 
first part of the match was good. It was better than I remembered. You know, like the first ten minutes or so, and then and then it like I'm starting to get into it to the point where I'm like, oh not, oh yeah, I forgot. Oh yeah, you know that's that's what it's just. It's a bummer of a way to to end um, a show that is just too long, right? It's there's some highs on this show. There are two just awesome, awesome matches on this show. Three, um, actually. I mean, you got yeah, the, women's the women. Match, you got yeah. Three. It just needed to be cut and produced a little bit better in the way it was set up. But I, uh, yeah, I very, very much enjoyed and even forgot how good a couple of those matches were. Um, heading back and 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 rewatching them. So, yeah, not um. You know, fun if you're gonna go back and we watch this. There's at least a couple matches that I think you want to uh, you want to uh, take some time to to go check out. The opener's fine. Uh, Charlotte Sasha's good. AJ Cena very good. Finn Seth at the very least you want to check those out. Yeah, that's for sure. And ultimately, the Lesnar Orton thing. It's fun if you're a completionist because they hadn't really had a sustained program with one another. They get this kind of match, and the build was so well done. And then the match was memorable for all the wrong reasons. But this is a four-hour show that if they had cut it down to three, would have been an all-timer. It's still very good, and there's still a lot that you can get from it. But it's just a shame that the flow of the show was as choppy as it was. So I believe I have the next selection. You do. Of where where we are going to head. And... Um, this one is one that I kind of always uh, remember pretty fondly. We'll discuss what we, uh, you and I, we can discuss off air too for what we want to do for the. Uh, there's a Benoit match in the middle, but we are in the SummerSlam uh, time period, so we'll stick with SummerSlam. I'm gonna go to SummerSlam 2000, and there's a main event that I, I had a lot of fun with: The Rock, Triple H, and Kurt Angle. And the whole storyline with Kurt and with Stephanie was a lot of fun here. We can get into that. We've got the TLC uh, match with the Edge and Christian, the Dudleys, and the Hardys there. We've got Kane and the Undertaker in a no DQ. Blackman versus Shane, which is a lot of fun. Um, now, now, the- now, now, now. We also have the Cat and Terry in a stink face match. Which is excellent. And then uh, Eddie and China versus Trish and Val. So we're heading to SummerSlam 2000 on our next old wrestling rewatch. Right in the middle of the Attitude Era. Rock, Triple H, Kurt Angle in the uh, main event. Triple threat for the WWF Championship. So we're going to stick SummerSlam. We're in the SummerSlam mode. And uh, Andrew had a lot of fun getting through this one with you. Uh, hopefully, DZ will be back for uh, our next old wrestling rewatch when we go to 2000 SummerSlam, right in the middle of the Attitude Era. So let everybody know you and I are recording this. Probably might not come out for a few days after, but um, right now you are in the middle of your uh, daily selections for Saratoga for the Pink Sheet, and you've got the Champagne and JD podcast. And different stuff on written stuff on the website. The best place to follow along and to kind of get updated as to everything that you have is probably on Twitter on social media, right? Yeah, Twitter is good. Uh, AndrewChampagne.com is my site. Everything that I do will be in print in the pink sheet and online on my website. Everyday Racing. We're recording this on Tuesday night. Wednesday is day 20 of the 40 day meet. Champagne and JD is live every week. We had a great show last week. We had Laura King from the Dubai Racing Channel coming in. That was a tremendous perspective she was able to give us coming to Saratoga for a special show there. And 
We're recording a really good one this coming week. We're really proud of this. We got Lafitte Pinkai the third to agree nice. to stop by for for sort of a halftime report of sorts. And 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 look, I, I am very you know I, I'm very comfortable as a man in saying this. That gentleman has the finest hair in the history of horse racing. It is not close at all whatsoever. On a serious note, Lafitte and I have been friends nice. for a while. We worked together at HRTV way, way back in the day. So it'd be great to catch up with him a little bit. Great to preview a little bit of what's going on at Saratoga this coming weekend in my written stuff as well. Already got Wednesdays up as we're recording this right now. Need to write Thursdays tonight. And there's a lot of fun stuff that's going to be coming down the pike later this week. You're going to want to watch Champagne and JD. We got some breaking news in the final thoughts section. You're not going to want to miss that, especially if you're in upstate New York. Andrew Champagne, you hear him on the old wrestling rewatch with us each and every week. A big thank you, Andrew. Make sure to uh, give Andrew a follow there on social media. Check out his website and all of his written stuff. And we'll uh, talk some uh, SummerSlam 2000 again uh, next week, buddy. Thanks so much. Sounds good, man. Talk to you later. Darren, hope all's well, buddy. Do not go anywhere, folks. Still plenty more here on That's What G Said. We'll be back in just a moment. Big thank you to Andrew for helping us out. And uh, we uh, will have another episode of the Old Wrestling Rewatch coming up next week. I think one more week it'll actually be just me and Andrew before Darren will uh, be back to join us. So uh, thanks to Andrew. Thank you to... Uh, Tim Kelly, I was like, who was our other guest? TK with What If, and hopefully we uh, helped you out with uh, getting used to some winners for Wednesday and for Thursday at Saratoga, early sports stuff at the beginning, one of those type of episodes that I just love where we give you a variety, a quality, and a quantity, unlike any other on That's What G Said. Joey Cleveland, buddy, close us out.